Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal! Guys, I'm right here, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. He is Clint Wells, and this is episode 114, and we're tackling two years this week because not a lot of happened uh, outside of touring. So we're talking about 93 and 94 years in the life of Metallica. Yeah, we've done these before where we had to combine the years because other than touring, there wasn't a lot of notable events. So this will be no different. If you're joining us for the first time, we're an all-Metallica podcast. Ethan and I are two professional touring musicians. We get together once a week, even when we're out on the road. To talk about our favorite band, hands down, it's got to be Metallica. And uh, tonight, you were on the road on your first leg of shows with the great need to breathe. So where, I am, where yes. are you at tonight? I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. We played here last night at the Orpheum Theater, and uh, we got a day off today. Stayed here and head to Ames, Iowa tomorrow. By the time this episode drops, I will have finished uh, this weekend of shows. But um, I'm going home for a few days next week and then uh, pick back up after that. So for our listeners who might be interested in coming to the show, maybe they're Need to Breathe fans, maybe they've never heard of the band, they didn't want to say hi to you, uh, what are the, some of the shows that are relevant to the time where this episode will be released uh, that some uh, fans well, can come check out? Okay, well, uh, as of today, Monday, when this episode is out, uh, I'm home for a few days, but then starting Thursday, February 28th, I'll be in New Orleans, then Jackson, Mississippi, Montgomery, Alabama, the birthplace, by the way, this is an important historical fact, the birthplace of Sir Clint Wells. Mm. Um, Huntsville, Alabama, Tampa, Florida, um, Plant City, Florida, at the Florida Strawberry Festival. That'll actually be a non-acoustic show. Uh, we're doing a full rock show, which will be my first one with them, which will be fun. Awesome. Um, Fort Lauderdale, Savannah, Columbia, South Carolina, Knoxville. Uh, Knoxville's a day off, sorry. Uh, Louisville, Asheville, Greensburg. A lot of cities. And this thing goes till there's three legs of it. It goes till the end of May. So it's a long, long tour. Um, so go to Need to Breathe's website or Songkick, wherever you guys look at tour dates. And uh, if there's a date you see, and I'm going to be there, shoot me an email, metalupyourpodcastshow.gmail.com. And uh, if I can get one or two of you into the show, I'll do my best. I'm not really sure yet. I haven't dealt with that yet. I'm only four shows in with these guys. So right. definitely don't want to overstep my, my, my welcome here, overstay my welcome, overstep my boundaries, overstay my boundaries. Mm, don't do that. Or maybe you should do that. Maybe it hurt. Maybe, okay. maybe it cuts like a knife, but it feels so right. I don't know. I'm not really sure yet. But yeah, um, if you guys want to come out to a show at the very least, uh, or if you're a Need to Breathe fan, you got tickets for the show already, come out. Let me know. I'll m- make sure I can come by and say hi to you. Maybe grab an ice water since I'm not drinking on this tour. I, and I would encourage you all to do it if you can, because I've known the Need to Breathe guys for a long time. It's They're a great band, cool dudes, and uh, support live music, all et cetera, et cetera. Ethan's got a live record out, or not a live record. Ethan's got a record out called Let It Burn. A great record he made with Paul Moak. I play guitar on it. Uh, you can get that wherever you buy records. I think it's uh, smlxl.com is where you can buy the vinyl. Yep. And uh, we love the vinyl over here in our house. So it's good that you're out on the road, dude. And uh, yeah, man, this is our first, first remote episode in a while, so we're kind of going to be getting back in the groove of that. 
That's right. Now, if you like the show, we talk about it every week, but we got to. It's important. We got to take some responsibility here. We've got the iTunes. If you haven't done it, go leave us a positive review. It only takes a second. We really appreciate it. It's one of the easiest ways to support the show other than telling your buddies about it. Maybe you've got a blog or a podcast of your own. You can mention this on all that. If you've got a Facebook page, <clears throat> Instagram, Twitter, if you wanted to say, hey, here's a link to these guys. I think they're cool. If you want to get involved on a deeper level, we have what's called the Patreon. You're going to hear a commercial about that later, but uh, we try to give all sorts of things to those people uh, as a way to say thank you. It's kind of a way to financially support the show. Because this stuff takes time. It takes time out of our normal jobs, our families. As we roll into year three, getting support at that level really keeps us uh, excited about this work and growing the show. So That's right, yeah. The thing I was thinking about the other day, Ethan, is like the OG patrons who've been on the ride the whole time have just been slowly sort of acquiring goodies over there. Yep. But if you were to sign up tomorrow for Patreon at the $5 level, you immediately get like cover our world black and volume one, cover our black and volume two, three lunar Satan songs, uh, just a bunch of shit that's just sitting over there waiting for the people who sign up. So yeah, exactly. And I think I think sometime next week I'm gonna throw up uh, a a B side for my record that only a few people got. I thought it'd be a fun thing, uh, whether you like the reggae music or not. I thought it'd be a fun uh, extra little bonus track to throw up on uh, Patreon. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I want to hear that myself. Uh, I did just get in from our friend Joey who sent us a, a tin of the uh, Hakeem from Coming to America. Oh yes. Um, the uh, Funko Pop dolls, which we're going to give those away to patrons. We give away the deluxe box sets, uh, rare vinyl, all that stuff. We really, we really do our best, if I do say so myself, to put a lot of value over there uh, as a way to say thank you for people who support the show. Now, at the bare minimum, we like to give people a shout out. We have a buttload of new patrons. Oh, we got a bunch. So yeah. Let's read some of their names and say thanks. All right, we got Andrew Jordan. Uh, Mike Garcia increases pledge. Uh, Raul Cueva, Christian Poste, Poste, mm-hmm. uh, Ralph Savetto increase their pledge. And go ahead and Clint. Zach Carpenter increases pledge. Mike Thomas, Jesse House increased their pledge. Ramesh Raguthaman, uh, and Daryl Lewis. So let's let's give it up for the uh, patrons. All right, we Great really do appreciate that. And um, we're on all the socials. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, all the stuff that you can find podcasts. We are fairly interactive, mostly on Twitter and Instagram. We do Instagram lives. We we uh, anytime we do our radio episodes, we do uh, AMAs where you can ask us whatever you want. We usually do mm-hmm. that. That we kind of get the most traction for that on Instagram, and we try to make it funny and fun. And so, if you're on all that stuff, go find us there. Uh, MetalUpYourPodcast.com is where you can get information about merch other podcasts we've been on speaking of that real quick my friends dwight and patty are in a really great austin-based rock band called the wind and the wave i played on their first record dwight produces all of bob schneider's records we've been tight for a long time toured for a while they have a cool podcast all about the creative process called the dwight and patty show i am the guest for the next two weeks talking about uh my songwriting being a professional touring guitar player deep dives into Nashville culture, what it's like to be here, like kind of like a normal blue collar guy uh, <clears throat> making music professionally. So if that sounds very inter- cool, if that sounds interesting to any of you out there, I, w- I wonder sometimes if there are people out there that are like Ethan people or Clint people and the Ethan people are like, <laughs> fuck that. I don't want to hear that. that. Sounds horrible. Two weeks. Are you kidding me? And they're each episode are actually two weeks long episodes. So it's yeah, they're, yeah, it's, it's a lot, a, lot of content. It's quite a commitment. It's about yep. seven thousand hours <laughs> each. 
Now, before we get into the emails, which, by the way, questions, concerns, comments, feedback, whatever you want, metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. I assure you, Ethan and I read and respond to every email, and we read a handful. We're going to read some in a minute. Uh, unfortunately, before we got that, uh, we need to talk about this Ryan Adams thing, because I know yeah. we've mentioned him on the show a lot. Uh, I know you're not a big fan, but I'm, I was a huge fan, and uh, mm-hmm. our fans kind of are wanting to hear us talk about this a little bit, so... It's a bummer. It's I a, mean, it's a even as a even as a non fan, I mean, it's a total bummer. It's a <clears throat> you know, you you've been a fan for a long time. You mm-hmm. collect a lot of his stuff on vinyl, and right. um, he's been a big inspiration for you. And and uh, I'm sure it was pretty crushing, you know, as a fan to be like, oh my god, like all this stuff happened. Well, and- let me let me briefly sort of catch everyone up. Now, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know who he is, but I bet a lot of them don't. Brian Adams is sort of a indie darling Americana all country guy. He's not just that, but that's kind of what he's known for. In the late nineties, he was in a very popular alt country band called whiskey town. Uh, he made his first solo record, I believe in 2000 with Ethan Johns, Gillian Welch, David Rawlings, a very popular record called heartbreaker, which is kind of considered a quintessential alt country record. Yeah. He then went on to make kind of this great seventies AM radio record called gold and he had a big hit called new york new york that coincided with 9-11 he was touring with Alanis morissette after that he made a bunch of critically acclaimed sort of art records that dipped into kind of smithsy oasis british pop punk stuff and he makes punk records uh psychedelic grateful dead kind of records kind of classic sounding american springsteen type records he's super prolific and uh but also kind of known as like a an interesting personality and yeah. uh, a big New York times article came out on, I believe it was Valentine's day where seven women, including his ex-wife of six years, Mandy Moore have accused him of sort of a pattern of manipulation, coercion, harassment, and abuse. A lot of it tied to sex. Um, mm-hmm. It's Phoebe Bridgers, kind of an up and coming indie superstar. Uh, my friend Courtney J is in this article. Uh, Crazy. Two of the women are anonymous. Um, and they're basically saying that Ryan would seek them out. Uh, it's also the chick Leah Hayes from Scary Mansion. Uh, big b- 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 Profess to be big fans of their work. Get them to come to his studio under the auspices of he would produce their new record. He would take them on tour with them. And then it would just sort of get creepy from there. Some of them he tried to sleep with. Some of them he didn't. Some of them he they dated for a little while, and then he became insanely jealous. And then when they would decline his advances, he basically ghosted them. So basically kind, yeah. of, kind of a creep asshole who put women in a lot of uncomfortable spots professionally yeah, and sexually. Totally. So, so there's that. So I want you guys to kind of keep in your mind two things hovering. There's that hovering. Also in the article is a girl named Ava which I believe is a pseudonym, uh, is claiming that when she was 14, she's 20 now, when she was 14, her and Ryan had a nine-month-long sexual, internet sexual relationship in which they were sexting and sending each other naked pictures and having phone sex and Skype sex, uh, which, as I'm sure you all know, is super-duper illegal. Very, very illegal. Because a 14-year-old is a child. Yes. And so now Ryan Adams is under... A federal investigation, the FBI are involved. His three records that were coming out this year have been canceled. His tour is canceled. It, just the just a massive, disgraceful fall 
Mm-hmm. Very, very disgraceful. Yeah. And so I guess even the two things that for us to sort of camp out in uh, that I think our listeners would be interested to hear our perspective on is number one, addressing the sort of age old power uh, inequality and the misogyny within the music industry and the problems there. Mm-hmm. And then also, what do you do? Can you separate the art from the artist? What do you do for you? It's not as complicated because you didn't really like his music anyway. But for me, moving forward and listening to his music. So, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, I, I think if you are pay attention to the music industry and have for a long time, it's been I mean, going on for decades, still goes on today. That I mean, it's a very male-dominated industry. Unfortunately, you know, it's been that way for a long time. I mean, I think it's. I think it's turning a little bit, but not nearly as much as I wish it would. Um, because I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of a lot of female artists and I wish they were, you know, more out there making great records and being at the top of the charts and being the ones that are on the award shows and stuff like that, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, and it sucks. It's just, it's just one of those things that like men have kind of owned that world for a long time and, and really in the entertainment industry in general, I think, whether it's TV, film or music, um, and, you know, in these kind of cases, it's like you have these girls that look up to this guy and love his music, love his work ethic, love his songwriting and all this stuff and see a great opportunity where he's like offering like, oh, I could do this for you and help you in this way and stuff like that. It's like, oh, my God, this is a dream come true. And and it's very manipulative. And it's almost to the point where like these women might have been pretty blinded by what the truth was because they're in a position where they're trying to work their career and, and get better and become maybe more popular and sell more records and reach a wider audience. And they might look at this as an opportunity and just a really nice guy that wants to help me out. But unfortunately, his intentions are otherwise. Well, yeah. And it doesn't really seem to be like, I mean, because there is a part of me where some of, so that if you're keeping this, these things hovering in your mind, okay. And the, one of the problems with the New York times article is that it really conflates these two issues. So the one issue is that he's a creep uh, who uses his power as a gatekeeper and a tastemaker mm-hmm. to, to um, you know, negotiate sex with people, which sucks, which is complete bullshit, but, also, but also not a crime. On the other hand, this alleged interactions with the kid is a total fucking disgusting crime. Oh, yeah. so, so there's some there's some work to do as an adult parsing some of this out. Now with Mandy Moore saying he was emotionally abusive and he was a shitty husband and he discouraged me from making music. There's some of me that's like, okay, well, you were in a bad relationship. A lot of people are in bad relationships with buttholes. Like mm-hmm. I was in a bad marriage too, you know. Um, I think there's some you have to just tease out what's different about that than with him. Now, the other thing I will say about like him with Phoebe Bridgers and with my friend Courtney J, this pattern of using his music to coerce sex with people. Other women have come out since the article, Natalie Prass, Liz Fair, Jenny Lewis, Jack White's ex-wife, Karen something. So it's really does seem like a lot of women that is, that have crossed his path. Yeah. Are basically saying well, and, this is what he's like. And even his male yeah. friends like Jason Isbell and his band have all come out against him and said he's a horrible person and they knew yeah. that they knew that some of this weird stuff was going on and ugh. oh it's 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 sickening man it really sucks and it's like i don't know it's like he's he was a very well respected artist and and songwriter and all that stuff but like 
I think he, I think he kind of just flew under the, just barely under the radar for so long because he wasn't this m- mega superstar. You know, I think he was able to kind of be in that indie rock world for so long, and that, that you know, this stuff slowly started happening. And and like a lot of cases, you know, I, one of my biggest pet peeves when something like this comes out is when there's always some idiot online in some comment section that's like, "Why don't you say something when it happened?" You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, you might think when this happened to you, you're the only one this has happened to, and who's going to believe you over Ryan Adams? You well, know? see, and that's when you get into the. That's when you really start to get into the what's messed up about the power inequality is right. If it comes down to what he said, she said, and if you're a, a struggling female artist, which by the way, I've toured with forever. They are definitely dealing with more bullshit than the, than our male counterparts. Yes, at every level of the gig, at the venue, with the promoter, with management, with yeah. with booking, with fans, um, and sometimes we, with with band members. Right. We talked a little bit about that with Lizzie a few weeks ago. Right. And so you know, so 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 yeah. So they're having to just traverse through a, a mile of bullshit that's not the same. And so. In some ways, this this sort of type of watershed moment is indicative of where it's moving, and it's good. And I also want to draw attention to, you know, it's not just the music industry or the entertainment industry. This is happening to women in all jobs. Yeah, of course. And I'm sure there are a lot of dudes that are real freaked out right now because they've thought they've gotten away with a lot of bullshit. So as horrified as I am because it's an artist that I, I mean, honestly, man, I looked up to that dude so much and he's, Mm -hmm. he was such an inspiration in terms of like his prolific output and his ability to write, um, outside of a lot of different genres of music. Right. Yeah. So in terms of separating the artist from the art, I mean, I'm definitely not wanting to listen to his music right now. And I don't know, I don't know if I will anymore. I might though, but it's definitely going to take time. I'm not tempted at all to listen to his music. Right. Yeah. I, I, it would be, uh, it'd be tough for me. Like, I mean, I think my gut, I would, I would say like, yeah, I can't, even if it was one of my favorite artists, if, you know, if it was someone from the clash or, you know, the living end or whatever band I love, you know, it, it would, I don't know. I think I would just kind of get that sick feeling in my stomach. All of a sudden when I heard their voice, it's like when you have a really good relationship with somebody forever and they screw you over, and you break up, like when you hear their voice or see their picture, you're like, it just brings back some stuff, you know. Well, especially, like, especially because all of his songs are about relationships, right? Like that's what that's where like separating the art from the artist gets weird with a guy like this because there's a good chance that like these experiences that like he made kind of happen and destroyed made their way into his music too, right? You know, right. which could come across as a love song or a breakup song or something where people are like, Oh, it's a beautiful song, but it's actually about him screwing over right. Phoebe Bridgers or something, you know, like, you don't, we actually don't know, but I mean, I don't know. I, it'd be it, it, as much as it'd be hard for me, let's say what happened to James Hetfield. It'd be like, well, shit, like this podcast is over and I can't listen to Metallica anymore. It would be tough for me to imagine not listening to Metallica ever again. I think it, I think it would end the podcast if something like that yes. came out with Metallica. I think we would have to be done. Um, in terms of the song and what was the song a product of this kind of abuse, we'll never know. I don't. I, I think getting mm-hmm. to that's a little murky, but but because I think in some ways too, the power of a song transcends the artist. And you have your own memories with the songs or the records or the t- the body of work, right? I'm not real tempted to go into all that right now because it's just I'm not a little nauseated by it. But in the future, I may not be, and I 
people have been asking me a lot, what do you think about listening to his music still? And I just think that's a personal decision. Mm-hmm, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I would be comfortable telling anyone what they can and can't listen to. I know what I'm right. willing to do and not do. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still willing to listen to Guns N' Roses and Kiss. I'm still, I still watch Woody Allen films. I still watch Roman mm-hmm. Polanski films. Uh, you have to just be an adult and parse all that out for yourself and be a big right. boy or girl. And I think, yeah. I think prescribing a morality, a blanket morality to how people engage art by people who are disappointing publicly that's, mm-hmm. that's not really going to work for me. So Right, sure. For those of you who are big fans struggling out there with it, you know, there's a lot of people that are really disappointed. It just really sucks. It's been a really weird couple of weeks for those of us who love that music. So Well, and, and he, he's definitely the kind of artist that, like, people, it's not just like, oh, I, th- I think he's cool and his songs sound good. It's like people have, like, like we do with maybe Metallica or certain artists like a Bruce Springsteen or Elvis Costello, there, it becomes a personal connection to certain songs, like where th- th- it got you through a hard time, or it was it was your wedding song, or something that's very very personal to you, you know, where it's beyond the point of just being like a casual fan, right? So it, it so it makes the sting even worse. Yeah, and I think I think I'll, we should maybe end it by saying, um, even though I think there's some gray areas with some of that stuff, uh, I wholeheartedly stand by the women who were victims yes. of this shit. And, Agreed. uh, I think any woman or man out there listening, uh, I don't want there to be any, any, uh, unsureties about where you and I stand on that. So, yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I, I only, I only hope for, you know, total, you know, peace and resolution and these women being able to move forward in their lives and kind of put this behind them. And I hope they feel a sense of, you know, yeah, I just I just want them to have peace at the end at the end of the day, and I hope they do. And I stand by them. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, we were going to read some emails, but I say we just get into talking about Metallica. What do you say? I think that's a good idea. It's nice when you're the producer of your own show. You can we can just decide to do whatever <laughs> we want, can't we? Exactly. We can do that. You know what? Let's not talk about Metallica. That's the show, everybody. <laughs> peace. Adios. <laughs> uh, well, enjoy a uh, enjoy a few. Um, Enjoy a snippet of some more Hulkster, and uh, when we come back from the uh, Hulkamaniac break, we'll uh, we'll dive into some uh, 93, 94 Metallica. Let's do it. All right. I read it in the papers. I saw it on TV. I guess it'll be one empty seat. When I wrestle at Wimbledon, I used to tear my shirt, but now you tore my heart. I knew you were a Hulkamaniac right from the very start. Right from the start, you were my friend. I'll see you again.
Hey, it's Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we hope you're enjoying the Metal Tales from the Road series. If you've been keeping up with us, then you already know that we've covered every stop on the 2018-2019 North American Arena Tour, and we look forward to catching up with all of our European friends later this year on the Stadium Tour overseas. And there's more. After the Stadium Tour, we are continuing the Metal Tales series for any Metallica show in the past. Maybe you saw one of the Orion Festivals. Maybe you were at the Channel in 1984, and Cliff Burton bought you a beer. Maybe you were at one of the 30th anniversary shows, or you just saw a regular-ass show in North Dakota somewhere. We want to hear from you. Since Ethan and I started Metal Up Your Podcast, we've wanted to find a way for listeners to call in and share their stories. Well, this is it. To make yourself eligible for a future or past Metal Tales episode, please consider joining us on Patreon. For $5 a month, you not only get to come on the show as a guest... You also get both of our Cover Our World Blackened EPs, monthly giveaways like deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, posters, and other goodies. You get early access to our YouTube videos, and we also let you ask our guests like Ray Burton, Michael Wagner, Hailstorm, members of Slipknot, your very own questions. For what essentially amounts to two cups of coffee a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. For any of you on the ride with us, we love you, we thank you, peace and adios. All right, so let's jump into the first of two years, 1993. Uh, not a ton happened uh, in Metallica world outside of touring. You know, of course, when we make these notes, we immediately go to Metallica.com and see what's going on on the timeline. And right away, I was like, oh, three things, you know, and then 94, two things. Right. But uh, there was a lot of touring happening, a lot of little random things happened. The first thing that was kind of notable to kind of kick off the Nowhere Left to Rome tour um, they're, you know, they're they're in their third year of touring the Black Album at this point. And at this point, they're probably exhausted. They've, you know, done the Guns Metallica tour. They've extensively toured the Black Album already. That's right. two years is already an average album cycle. Length, right. You know? Well, so it's like October of '91 through, just for some quick context, October of '91 uh, through July of '92 was the Wherever We May Roam tour. Uh, that was in North America. Then they did Europe from October 22nd to December 8th of 92. So that's a lot. And then in 92, from July to October, wait, is this right? I'm on their I'm on their Wikipedia. And because the Guns tour, it's saying was July 17th through October 6th of 92, and that 92, would have, okay. and that would have been you know so so and we already covered 1992, but basically from October 6th through this January 21st of them launching the Nowhere Else to Rome tour. I guess they had some time off or kicking yeah. around. Yeah, I'm sure they're taking a much-needed break after all that stuff, you know. And, and and just, the you know, I can't imagine mentally just the overwhelming feeling of, like, we just made the biggest record of our lives, and it sold millions and millions already in two years. It's one of the things I'd be most curious to... I wish I could have asked them at the time, too, but it's like when you guys were in the middle of the Black Album, like the cycle of it, not even the making of it. You've already made it. It's maybe, I'm kind of lost on my time. I don't know if they've already like won a Grammy or whatever for Inner Sandman, but um, I wonder what it felt like. Like, did you guys know? Is it something that was just almost too much to even contemplate? Like, we're the biggest band in the world right now. Like, it's like you want to ask U2 yeah. that too. Like, U2 on the Joshua Tree Tour or the Octoon Baby Tour or the Stones during Some Girls or Exile. 
like, do you, are you aware that you're in the biggest band in the world? And what does that feel like? I know, man. I mean, I'd imagine, I mean, after that guns tour, it was kind of like their first good chunk of I me, mean, which is only about two, two, two and a half months. Right. But I mean, at that point, I mean, I know what it feels like. And you know, what it feels like to play a sold out club and it's yeah. like, it's euphoric. You're yeah. like on another planet. Now imagine, you know, doing that and selling out stadiums and arenas and playing, you know, the monsters of rock for half a million people and all this stuff. Um, well, you know, you know, like when you, when you have a, a certain record out or you're on a certain tour, you have a sense where there's maybe a conversation happening about a record you just made or a, a band that you're in that's touring. But, but for them or a band like Guns, it's like an international worldwide excuse me metallica pun <laughs> worldwide conversation where it, whether it's brazil or north america or europe or asia these cities are selling out huge huge venues that's oh, just yeah. got to be a mind fuck it has to be i mean i mean of course their career has been nothing but kind of this uphill steady climb but when the black album hit it was just like explosion you know i mean you you can't i'm sure there's not a country in the world that that doesn't know who Metallica is at this point. Um, it's just mind blowing. By the way, we've got some great feedback on our, our Moke episode with the Black Album. Uh, well, it, I mean, it's Paul. I mean, everyone loves the Paul. People spoke, you know. <laughs> well, speaking of them being on huge stages, so it's interesting that they sort of kicked off the Nowhere Else to Rome tour January 21st in a Sam Goody, which I remember Sam Goody's. Yeah, in a Sam Goody. Yeah, they did this thing where they they, they, they created a Metalla store for one day only in New York City, an old Sam Goody, um, and they released what was only just like a four-song cassette, but um, <clears throat> uh, this is the same track list on both sides. Uh, it, I'm sorry, it was just three. It was just uh, Last Crest, Emma Evil, and Battery. Uh, the live versions from that Monsters of Rock thing at the... Uh, 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 Tushino Airfield in Moscow. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of their way of like kicking off this tour. And it's a funny little note that was in the cassette. Um, I'm guessing Lars wrote this. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It says, the fuckers up at Electric, electric suggested we come to Manhattan on January 21st. Um, uh, and on this record store's last day, they start going out of business, uh, turned into our fucking Metallica store. So we fucking did. And we thought it would be cool to give you guys something to remember that day by. So here's three tracks from our fucking gig in Moscow one and a half years ago. End of story. P.S. Don't pay money for this. <laughs> it, I, just basing on how they spell certain things, like here's with a Z, I'm guessing it could it's be James. Yeah, you're right. He like, yeah, you know, he even spelled his name with like J-A-Y-M-Z-E, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it was cool. They, they, they gave, you know, these three live songs to like all the fans that showed up for free. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 pretty awesome. Um, I kind of hate know. to burst the bubble on this, but like you, I think a lot of fans know. Maybe we didn't when we were reading this in the '90s, but you know they were like partnering with the like everyone had a meeting where they thought this was a good idea. But kind of the charm and the brand was like our fucking record label. I guess all the fucking suits <laughs> up there want us to do whatever. You know, it might have even been Lars's idea. It's very true. Yeah. I mean, it might have been just part of their kind of attitude back then. It's just like, you know, I, you know, I, and I kind of don't blame them. It's if, the magic if, trick. If, if it, it's the magic trick. But at the same time, I mean, Metallica's always done a really good job of like as big as they've gotten still being like the people's band. You know, right. like we still we still want that guy that loves Kill 'Em All to, to know that we're still we're still down to earth. And we still care about these fans. Did you see that that stuff that came out this week about uh, the Doyle guy from the Misfits? Did you see that shit he was saying? Uh, I didn't. I guess he was on some podcast, and it sucks because I don't really disagree with what he's saying, but he, he kind of said it real in a real vulgar way, and it, that's kind of getting more of the press. But he basically was like, 
people are stealing music. Artists can't make money anymore. That's why I have to do these these $50 meet and greets with people that I don't want to talk to. Oh, I did see that. Yes, totally. And, he, you know, he's getting kind of slammed for it, but I'm like, mm. he's got a point. Like, artists didn't used to have to do that. Now, if they did, it was nice. You know, like Metallica, when they didn't have to, would do these kind of cool little grassroots-seeming things, like... Right. Go do an in-store at Sam Goody. They've always kind of been a band of the people, and that's cool. But I also don't begrudge bands that never did that. Like, you think Roger Waters was doing meet and greets on the on the fucking Dark Side <laughs> of the Moon tour? Probably not. And that's kind of what we like about like the mystique of the rock star. And I kind of like mm-hmm. how Doyle's like, now this is what I have to do to make sense. And right, he sounds like well, a butthole, and maybe he is, but it's his prerogative if he wants to meet fans or not. <clears throat> it totally is. Well, and you know, you got to understand something too with him. I mean, like the Misfits, like yeah, they're 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 known as kind this legendary like horror punk band now but i mean we don't know the logistics of like what he made in royalties or if glenn danzig made them all i mean he's been touring as his own thing for a long time and he just plays little tiny clubs I, dude I, I mean i don't know a lot about that but i can i can glean you know with my experience that dude's not making a ton of money exactly he's so just for not. him it's a to fact, you know right and so for him to like you know obviously this these misfits reunion shows have been huge and they, they've only done a couple in arenas but i mean mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he's probably looking at like, look, I'm in my 50s. I got to make money where I can. Well, he said you're not going to buy my records. Well, he said, you know what? Like, I already played the show. Like, I just got done working. And for me, he's like, what I want to do after a show is go take a shower and go to bed, which I think is pretty reasonable. It's very reasonable. Now, I grew up, as you did, I kind of grew up watching Jason Newstead. So it's just in the fabric of me that I want to go meet, especially kids. Like I want to go meet fans, meet kids, give them a pick, mm-hmm. make, make a moment for them. Kind of like what Lizzie was talking about with Dio, even though obviously I'm not Dio, but I like to take the time. Cause I always think about myself looking at a band I loved and you know, you and I are in these positions sometimes where we're in a band that people love a lot. So yeah, I have that in me, but I just also the, the grumpy side of me see someone like Doyle say that and be like, I get it, dude. I totally get it. Yeah. And I'm sure it's tough it's tough for a guy like that, you know, like being this bit of an icon from, like I said, a legendary punk band. But like the the, the financial numbers don't add up. Like everyone knows who you are. You also wear face paint 24-7. But everyone knows who you are, but it's not like you're living this comfortable life where you can, you know, just avoid that stuff. Well, they recognize, like you, have, you, you yeah. have to go work. They recognize him by his tight, tight pectoral muscles and his protuberant nipples. <laughs> they are does he ever wear a shirt i mean is he's he's 24 7 shirtless I, I think he's shirtless all the time now how about the added irony of them writing ha ps don't pay for this and yet they're doing a promotional gig in a record store yeah <laughs> so it's like this is a little bit of tongue-in-cheek with like playing ball with the man over here yeah for sure um but you know i mean regardless of like who set it up or whether it was lars or it was a label kind of forced them to in a way <clears throat> you know it's cool that they you know, kind of came down back down to planet Earth and did this little thing in a small record store in New York. I agree. And I, think it's, I think it's cool. And we're going to play a clip of uh, the battery that, uh, from this cassette, too. Yeah, check this out. All right.
All right, so, you know, jump right into the next, very next day, January 22nd, the No Rest in Rome Tour officially starts in Kalamazoo, Michigan. The tour goes till March 13th. A couple facts about the tour before we jump into a couple things here. The support acts were Kaya, Suicidal Tendencies, and The Cult on different legs. Kaya stayed Asia, South America, Australia, New Zealand. Suicidal Tendencies and The Cult in Europe and the Middle East. Um, That's a cool build. That'd be a cool build, The Cult and Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, God, I would love to see the Colt open for Metallica. That, wow. I'm sure that was a great show. Yeah. Um, and one little fun fact, too, if you, you listeners don't know, is that Caius was Josh Homie or Home, however you say his last name, from Queens of the Stone Age. That was his first band. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know he's been around that long. Yeah, they were. They started in, like, 92. And he was in the band the whole time until, like, I want to say, like, 97, 98. Wow. Um, so, Josh, yeah, Josh Home was on tour with Metallica. In Josh Asia, Homie. What a homie. He's um, my homie. He is my homie, and since Suicidal Tendencies was on the tour, this officially marks the first time they met Rob Trujillo. Wow. That's got to be cool. And it also makes me laugh when you watch some kind of monster, and Lars refers to him as that guy. <laughs> that <laughs> he's like, guy. I mean, that guy, like, you know, he's got, like, picks for hands or whatever he says. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't need a pick because all of his fingers are picks. He's got five picks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. There's some There's some interesting stuff going on there, too, because as we later learned... You know, the night before that, Rob stayed up all night drinking with Lars. Right. And, like, the T-shirt he's wearing is, like, one of Lars's big-ass oversized blue shirts. Yeah. I mean, they're they're old homies they're for homies. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, honestly, like maybe because the camera crew is around, he's probably trying to, like, just play it safe. And, yeah. you know, I mean, he doesn't want to be disrespectful to the other guys that tried out here's, and here's, stuff like that. Here's what, I can tell, here's what I can tell you guys about who was going to replace Jason. It was always going to be a homie. Yes. That's why they wanted Pepper Keenan in there. I mean, mm-hmm. they wanted a homie, and I get it. Yep. You you want some? They didn't want to do the Jason thing again, where it's just some some kid, some fan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you had more facts. So you seventy seven shows was the show count. Yeah, so technically it should have been seventy eight. That one canceled show uh, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Do we know why it was um, canceled? Don't know why it was canceled. I was trying to look that up. Um, could not find that, unfortunately. You ever been to San Juan? You ever been to Puerto Rico? <laughs> I have been to Puerto Rico. Yes, I spent a Christmas in Vieques. Yeah, we've been to Vieques too. Dude, love it. We loved it. My my wife has still has family in uh, Puerto Rico. They're Puerto Rican, and so we got to visit her grandfather when he was still alive. And we we went took a little a tiny little plane over to Vieques, and in Vieques they literally have like wild horses running around. Yep. Oh yeah. I, they, they were running by our our. We stayed in a little apartment like two blocks from the beach, and we'd wake up and walk down to the beach to go get some coffee. Did or you take a little plane from San Juan over there? Yes, it was like terrifying. a little a little prop plane. So scary, I hate it. But it, the the big difference you pay like a hundred bucks per seat basically, and it's like twenty minutes in the air. It's nothing. But the ferries we looked into, and it was like going to be it was going to take like a few hours to get over there. It was just like let's just get there. <laughs> I wonder if Kirk was disappointed because you know as we learned from the some kind of monster doc, he enjoys a nice horseback riding. He does. He really does. And there's plenty of them there. There's tons of wild. He's horses. a man of the woods. He is a man is. of nature. Absolutely, he's a child no, of I, nature. He's what can he say? He's a child of Mother Nature. Um, <laughs> another cool fact about this: this is and and sometimes you forget with the Black Album they're so huge. You think they've already been everywhere, but this tour was the first time the Metallica did shows in Thailand, the Philippines, Singapore, and Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Which is you you would think at this point they'd been there even on the maybe on the Justice tour. No, but, that's, um, that's a good point. I mean, if, if there was anywhere they didn't go, the Black Album's what would take them there. And, oh yeah, and, and hence the name of the tour, the Nowhere Else to Roam tour. It's like. You know, they yeah, felt absolutely. like they've been everywhere. It's like, well, what markets, what insane markets can we go to? 
Mm-hmm, totally. And then this was also the tour where the, the Five Nights in Mexico City, which is what was later released on Live Shit, Bitch, and Purge. They seem to have a pretty good relationship with Mexico City. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and if, you know, I, have you ever played Mexico City? I have not. Dude, it's like Mexico City in South and like South America. Dude, it, it, those fans are insane, man. It's I, I got to play Mexico City a couple times, once with Kings. It was this festival. It was called like the Corona Rock Festival or something. And it was like how very How very Mexican sounding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a blast of a festival. Great food. It was well put together. It was awesome. But, dude, I, I remember I got to play on stage literally in front of 80-plus thousand people. It wow. was insane. Wow. You literally can't see the end of the people, but you can see the entire crowd moving. It looks like like you're watching like the ocean and like swells coming in. It's like it, everyone's moving and having the time of their life singing every single word of every song. It's crazy. It's actually kind of terrifying. It is terrifying. Like I remember, be, I remember being up on stage thinking, like, if all these people at one point, you know, like when you're watching a flock of birds in the sky and immediately they all decide just to change directions. Yeah, like if they all went mad. Yeah, if they all went mad at the same time and they're like, let's just rush the stage. I mean, I, I'd be dead. What's that famous? <laughs> there's a famous book, like I think from the 1800s called uh, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. And it's about like the witch hunts and it's just about how like sort of people in big groups can go crazy. Even yeah. like even like sane individuals, but once they're in this group and hive kind of hive mind, they can mm-hmm. they can kind of go nuts. Yeah, I mean, I I've definitely thought about that. Like playing big festivals around the world, like you just look at the amount of people that are there. This big mass of people, and you're like, God, it's insane. Or you you know when we've watched you know footage of them at Monsters of Rock, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you think all those dudes, all those soldiers that were like there for security, could stop that many people if they decided to be like, fuck it, we're charging. This is, yeah, it's like a total facade. It's a total bluff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so, yeah, like those are kind of some just, you know, basic facts about kind of what the tour is about. Um, so here's the I, I, go ahead. Go, I was going to say, I, uh, I, I kind of typed out for us to, to kind of read off like a typical U.S. set list. They had three different set lists and a lot of stuff was similar with, you know, obviously promoting, still promoting the Black Album. But <clears throat> I figure we can kind of run through like one of their average set lists for this tour. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll just spout them off, and we can talk about a few songs. Maybe um, "Inner Sandman," "Creeping Death," "Harvester of Sorrow." I like, your, I like your typo here. You you wrote Harvester, "Harvester of Sorrow." Harvester of Sorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love when there's a random typo by you or I or like an, uh, someone who emails yeah. in, and you and you just gloss over it. Um, Harvester of this. Sorry. Thank sorry. you. Thank you. Um, this is cool though to see "Inner Sandman" first, still after two years. I At this mean, point, their song is huge. It's a great opener. Great I, opener. I, I, I think, you know, we talked about they're never going to not play it. I think, so, and I accept that. It's going to be in every Metallica show. Here's a good way to mix that up. Either make it the last song in the main set before the two en- or three encores, or let's just fucking crack it open at the top again. Let's crack it open. Let's let's get all the, the, the fans that are here for that one song just to take off. <laughs> but the thing is, you think if someone really, you know, they're there to see Inner Sandman, maybe that's the one song they know. They're not leaving after that song. No, they're not going to leave. They might leave it like before the encore yeah, or something, but they're right. they're going to stay. Yeah. But I mean, I, this set list is just stacked with so much good stuff. So, Sandman, Creeping Death, Harvester of Sorry, thank you. Thank um, you. <laughs> uh, Sanitarium, Savage True of Wolf and Man, The Unforgiven, and a Justice Medley, which we've seen videos I love of. That we've Justice talked. Medley. It's great, and I love that they do Blackened twice. 
Mm. Like they, they, because I remember watching, they go into like an early part of it, then go into the ending part of it. It's awesome. So I, the beholder blackened, Freddy and sanity, justice for all. And then back into black end. And you know, those are really some of the only times you're going to see I, the beholder and Freddy in. So mm-hmm. those just aren't songs that they ever play. So it's cool yeah, to see yeah. them featured in, an, in a reoccurring justice medley. I wouldn't, right. I'd be a fan of them bringing some of those, like the kill ride medley, the justice medley, the only medley I really didn't like, and it's the one my first time I saw them was they were doing this thing called Master Terrium. Yeah, on the summer sanitarium tours where they were kind of mixing up puppets and sanitarium. Not yeah, as exciting. Was that when they weren't doing like the 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 ballad bridge of puppets? They or, were, always, were they still doing that. Um, that was in the that no that was in the nineties. That wasn't oh, was that, that was just just like a Master of Puppets medley. It was master or something. I I think they were just taking out the third verse or something. Uh, Okay. Um, I don't know. Someone's going to fucking flame us for that. I don't know, dude. It's late. (laughs) It's it's been a long week. Um, It's been a long week. I think that, um, I think some of the setless problems that could be solved now is like a load reload medley or a death Mm. or a death magnetic medley. Love it. Wouldn't that be killer? Like, that imagine, would be so rad. imagine a death magnetic medley because there's already a reload slot. I get it. They're going to play uh, fuel or memory, but imagine a death magnetic medley. What I mean, what they'd even call that? Like a magnetic medley. Death mag medley. Um, imagine like into the line into <sighs> that was just your life into my apocalypse. Into cyanide, Maybe, you know, like uh, yeah, totally. It, it could be so fun to think about what that might be. It could be really cool. I, God, I would love that. I think that's a fantastic idea. One of your best. <sighs> well, I give myself credit. <laughs> I give myself one hundred percent of the credit for it. I give credit where credit is due, and it's right to me. So then, the bass solo, guitar solo, <clears throat> yeah, through the never through the- bells fade. They like to they like to keep lightning songs together sometimes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They definitely do, which is I'm, I'm fine with. And sometimes on the Worldwide Tour, three in a row. Yeah, well, yeah, There's, like Creep, Fade, and Bells. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> it's been a, it's happened a few times. Um, and then going into and this is still weird too to see puppets it's still kind of in the middle of the set, but puppets mm-hmm. uh, seek and destroy Whiplash. I mean, I, I'm sorry, it's it's in the middle in the grand scheme of things. It's closer to the end, but it's not like what yeah. they've been doing for a long time. It's, right. So interesting to see this. Um, then the encore, nothing else matters. Wherever I may roam, and my evil last caress. One, that's a stacked encore. Wow. Um, and then they come back out for encore two, which is battery. Um, I mean, so much cool. I would, I would have loved to have seen this tour. I wish I was yeah. a little older. And my parents weren't fearful of heavy metal back then. <laughs> I wish I, I was a little bit taller. I wish I was I a wish baller. I was a, gosh, seriously. I wish I had a girl look good. I'd call him. Call him. Because <laughs> he's in the hospital because he's transitioning. Um, exactly. Yeah, it, it's just fun to see them when, and obviously it's fun to see bands when they just don't have so much material to choose from. You're sort of, you know, they were just they were just sort of locked into these five records mm-hmm. and just pulling the best from these five. Plus, throw in some of those, uh, throw a Diamond Head cover and a and a Danzig cover, and it's like, yeah, wow, I know it's wow. so cool. I mean, even just to see to see that many Black Album songs and, and which I know, I mean, we are seeing you know some pretty Black Album heavy set lists in recent, you know months but um i mean a, a wolf and man would be amazing to see through, you know they've been doing through the never um yeah but, but yeah, a wolf I mean, and man definitely is kind of an outlier there and, and even rome is. rome kind of became a rarity um on the north american arena tour we saw it in the stadiums mm-hmm. every show but how about rome being in the encore i think that's i think rome's a good encore song it is really good yeah i, I almost think that that would be a good 
first encore song. Yeah, totally. Like they go away, the lights come back, come down, and then you hear that sitar at the top. Yeah, I'm in. I wonder, it'd be interesting to tell them too, like, because they had a sense of how big the Black Album was, obviously, but to be like, dudes, you guys are going to play these like four or five songs literally for the rest of your careers. <laughs> yes. I mean, basically the, the first with the exception of Rome here and there, the first five tracks off of the Black Album. Well, ex- yeah, except for Holier. Except right? Hol- yeah, that's true, yeah. But um, shit, that was in a rotating slot too, though. Yeah, it I mean, was. I mean, Through the Never of Wolf and Man and Holier all made it into rotating slots. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and then when you combine that with Sandman, Sabbath True, Rome, uh, Unforgiven, Nothing Else Matters, I mean, goddamn, just play the Black Album. What's, what's a bummer <laughs> about that? And I know we're kind of like meditating on the Black Album, but hey, we're talking about 1993 here. Um, yeah. It's just songs like God That Failed and, and My Friend of Misery just get totally buried. They do, yeah. I mean, I, I was on their site today, like look, like looking up every song in the Blackout and see how many times they played it, when the last time was, all that stuff. And they've played every song off the record, you know, many times, mm-hmm. you know, but those those are the ones that are the least. I think uh, I think it's in my notes for the next year, but um, I think uh, My Friend of Misery is like 88 times, or maybe it's The God That Failed. Wow, 88? I think it was that. That surprises um, me. That's That seemed, I would have guessed lower. We'll get to it because I did make a note of it. It might have been, um, I can't remember. We'll, we'll get to it. I, I know it's in the notes on the next page. We're, 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 we want to get too ahead of ourselves. All so. right. January 25th, they win the American Music Award for Favorite Heavy Metal slash Hard Rock Artist performing Wherever I May Roam. We got a clip of that. We'll play for you right here. Their current album has been on the charts for 75 weeks. It has sold six and a half million copies. A winner tonight. Please welcome James, Lars, Kirk, and Jason. Metallica. Trying to look up um, who they were up against. 
Metallica 1993, AMA. It's the American Music Award, right? That's what we American, literally yeah, just yeah. said, right? <laughs> uh, well, dude, the, you, what, ask me anything awards. <laughs> once you get into the country world, there's just so much, like CMAs, the AMCs. Oh my AMAs. God, there's so many in the country world. Um, They were up. Wait, let me see. American Music Award for Favorite Heavy Metal Hard Rock. This is 97. Why 97? Oh, they were up against uh, Stone Temple Pilots and Smashing Pumpkins. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Def that, Leppard, Chili Peppers. Really? Chili Peppers are in that category? Yeah, I guess Hard Rock. They could be in that category sometimes. I mean, I guess at this point, I mean, after the Black Album, it was probably like a no question, like, yeah, Metallica's going to win this. <laughs> right. Yeah. But cool that they played Rome on on the on the on the award show. I, I think it's awesome. It's cool that they just have so many songs that are commercially viable. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like they only had Inner Sandman to play on those kinds of stages. It was like, well, uh, we want to do Rome or Sabbath True or Unforgiven or Nothing Else Matters. We literally had yeah. hits pouring out of our buttholes. I wonder if in that situation they were given the choice, and you know, you know, sometimes you, you've done TV or. or uh, radio stuff where they're like, hey, you, you got to play this song, you know, because that's what we're pushing right now. Right, right. Um, but I mean, Rome has already, at this point, has already been a single. So right. um, I wonder if they decided, like, well, we got, other than Enter Sandman, we got some other heavy hitters to choose from, so let's just do Rome. Not I sure. would love to ask the boys. Oh, I think Laz would just, he would be honest with us and just tell us how it was. Honey, I've waited my whole life to talk to you and Lucius as well. He loves your music too. And out of, <laughs> all, and out of, and out of all the questions, all the many years I spent in my bedroom thinking about what I would ask James, I finally decided on the one question. Why'd you play Rome at the American Music Awards in 1993? We've been, both of us, the Joyce's are dying to we, know. We've agreed it's the most important question. Exactly. So, what is it, James? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, the Joyces, oh, man, they got to make their appearance sometime. They love it. You know, it's okay. They're they're, they're welcome here anytime. Um, so yeah, moving on. February eighth, they released uh, Sabbath True single. Okay. Which the video was. Oh, it was just the you know, tour montage of live. Yeah, exactly. It was similar similar to Rome. Um, they did that on three. Well, the nothing else matters is all studio footage, but but Rome, yeah. It's crazy that th- three of their three of the big hits on that record were all footage that was already filmed and you you know like for tours and studio stuff. So they just like let's just throw that together and put Sabbath True over it. Well, just an easy, probably low overhead way to promote a single, get something on MTV. At that point, they're like, "Fuck it, dude! You guys are just being eaten alive on MTV." So. Let's just yeah. put something cheap together if you guys on the road. Pro- they probably had Wayne Isham came out that day or for one mm-hmm. day and just had maybe a crew, a small crew. We've done th- right. three or four episodes on all the music videos, at least up through two, th- at least up through some Saint Anger videos. So uh, I guess we'll refer you to that for a lot of those details. Well, with the Sabbath True video, I mean, guess who was a freshman in high school and fully on board that video? I was. I didn't care what the video I'm really was. Disappointed I really disappointed you didn't was... let me guess. I thought I really thought you were going to let me guess, and I was going to tee up some comedy. Oh no, man! I just figured you knew the comedy. The fucking comedy engines were just revved up. They were revved up, ready oh, to go. revved up for comedy. Should we start that over then? Okay, here we go. Well, now I've turned the com- I've turned this into the. This is the comedy now. It's me <laughs> talking about comedy. Um, it wouldn't have been very funny anyway. That's true. So <laughs> you were a freshman. You were a freshman in high school. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school. Um, I had already had the Black Oak Monica set, and I, I wore that tape out like crazy. 
And I already knew the whole record front to back. I was learning those songs on guitar back then. I got the tab book at the local music store. Um, but, you know, MTV was still this big ordeal. This is still pre-internet for, you know, most people in the world. Mm-hmm. And to see this stuff on MTV and on Headbringers Ball and all that stuff was like, oh, my God. Like, And that was my first, one of my first glimpses, that in the Rome video of, like, what they looked like touring and, right. like, their live setup and stuff. It was like mind-blowing to me to watch these guys look like gods on stage well and it was i mean we're so used to it now because of binge and purge but that was a really unique stage setup for the time mm-hmm. people oh, were absolutely people weren't it wasn't quite an in the round vibe but it was a precursor to that and they had all the risers going up and the two drum kits and they're running around it wasn't like but it wasn't like bon jovi or motley crew like on a big sound stage mm-hmm. it seemed sort of cavernous and they had a snake pit and it was dark and creepy, and it just, I remember just feeling like, I don't know, like I was as interested in that as I was the dudes. Totally, and I mean, this, I mean the, the Black Album Tours of the Snake Pit started. Right. You know, I mean, it's so it's so cool. I mean, that's that's just another little glimpse of like them wanting to connect with, with a certain amount of fans. Like, it's like, we're going to put all these fans in the middle of the stage. Like, right. I didn't know anybody other bands that were doing that at the time. Maybe there was, but I, I don't yeah, know. Maybe Yanni. Yeah, you know what Yanni probably did. He got down there with, you know, whatever well, instrument he, likes, he plays. He, I think he plays a, a piccolo. A piccolo, piccolo I think flute? He, I think he plays a recorder, I think. Well, he likes to get in there and get sweaty with the fans, man. Which, by the way, yeah. all hot chicks. All When you go to a Yanni show, 100% hot chicks. 100%. It's the mustache, man. Not they a lo- single that, dude. He has that manly mustache. Oh. Whereas if you go to a Rush concert... A hot, hot chick dudes. is like a, a, a the mythical fucking dragon, like Bigfoot. If, if, if there's a good-looking girl at, let's just say this, mm-hmm. if there's a female at a rush show, <laughs> she, she got drugged there by her boyfriend. <laughs> you got me a gun rack, Stacy. I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate a rack. So you're saying you don't like it? <laughs> Like Stacy, she's like, you're not careful, Wayne. You're going to lose me. Uh oh, don't look, Stacy. Where? Oh God, I made eye contact. Oh, psycho hose beast. Happy anniversary, Wayne. Stacy, we broke up two months ago. Well, that doesn't mean we can't still go out. Well, it does actually. That's what breaking up is. Will, are you going to go to the gasworks tonight? No. No! Don't you want to open your present? If it's a severed head, I'm going to be very upset. Open it. Okay. What is it? It's a gun rack. A gun rack? A a gun rack. Yeah, right. I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do? With a gun rack. You don't like it? Fine. You know, Wayne, if you're not careful, you're gonna lose me. I lost you two months ago. Are you mental? We broke up. Get the net. I was gonna say, have you heard, do you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast at all? Uh, not every episode, but I, I'll go through it and find people I, I really like and listen to the Travis episodes. Barker's episode last week is amazing. I haven't heard it yet. I'm very interested, though. I'm not a huge Blink fan, but, you know, obviously he's one of the kind of... He's a world-renowned drummer. Oh, yeah. And, uh, dude, I did not know that the main guy of Blink-182 is such a far-out cat. 
he oh he, aliens yeah he's in the aliens and bigfoot and he says that like and it's not like he became insane he said like in their heyday like take your pants off and jacket or whatever that big damn yeah. growing up song whatever the fuck i never was a big fan of them but um he said that when he would they would like play a city he would assemble a group of people meaning maybe maybe his own crew maybe some local crew at the venue and they would literally go look for bigfoot <laughs> on tour i love it i think it's awesome <laughs> it is kind of awesome i would go with them you would be going on one of those expeditions would you I'd go, go i'd go with them would you go but because you you really are like on maybe sort of a serious spiritual quest to find bigfoot or would you go because like it's an interesting way to bomb with somebody and it's what else are you going to do out there. I think I think a little of both. I think that, and also it'd be like very entertaining. And I'm just kind of curious, like to the severity of, of his <laughs> his quest. And well, he quit the band to pursue this passion. He literally yeah. so Blink 182 got back together, uh, and with, with to no small acclaim, by the way. Like people are real excited they're back together. I believe they're doing arenas and they're like headlining festivals. Yeah, they got Matt Skiba from uh, Alkaline Trio to to replace him. And that guy walked away from it because he wants to go to the White House. And talk to the president about aliens. You know what's crazy is he's he still is owner of Blink one one of the owners of Blink One Eighty Two. Well, see that's because, smart. So he's still just making the money. Oh, he's still he's still raking in a ton of money. He still I'm sure gets tour money and royalties, all this stuff. He he didn't technically quit. He just didn't want to do the reunion and wow. and didn't you know, and you, a lot of times when a, a artist like of that size, even down to a, a mid level band. When everyone's signed on to a contract, if someone quits, like a lot of times you buy them out of the contract. And he didn't want that, and he still makes money on Blink. Well, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining our new uh, Bigfoot slash Blink-182 crossover podcast. <laughs> it's called Bigfoot-182. <laughs> <laughs> what an awesome podcast that would be. Oh, Blink Area 51. We could call it that, too. Oh, That's, that'd that, be good, that wasn't yeah. as funny, was it? Dang. Nah, I thought that was good. That was a good one. <laughs> Thanks, dude. We'll insert a laugh track right here. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, um, all right, where are we well, at on this uh, timeline? Well, before we get back to the timeline, I want to go on a, a – not a crazy tangent, but it has to do with Tom DeLonge from Blink-182. Oh, hell yeah. My, let's keep this fucking Blink-182 train rolling, dude. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm in. I'm having my second beer. I'm in. Okay. My first warp Tour was in 2008, and after Blink-182 kind of disbanded – he had a new band called Angels and Airwaves. I remember that. Yeah, the first record was actually kind of cool. There's some cool stuff in there. One of my favorite drummers, Adam Willard from the Span Rocket from the Crypt, was the drummer. Hmm. <clears throat> so they're they're on Warp Tour too. They're on the same stage as I as I was with when I was with Reliant K. And so I would go over there and watch him, mostly just to watch Adam play drums because he's a monster. He plays with Against Me now. He played for Social Distortion for a while. Played for The Offspring, a bunch of people. But um, at one point, our buses were parked next to each other, and Tom's outside, and I'm just outside sitting in a chair, just chilling out after our set. And he comes over and he's like, hey, man. I was like, what's up? He's like, you're the Ryan K. I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, dude, like, watch you guys. You guys are awesome. I'm like, thanks. And at the time, he was, and this is where I think he's kind of a smart dude. This is still like, it's obviously in the download era where people are stealing music. Mm -hmm. But he was, I think, had a really good idea. And everyone thought he was just kind of nuts for it because like, he was already kind of nuts. He's like, look, you're not buying my music anymore. I'm selling tickets to my expedition to find Bigfoot. And we're going to play music on in outer, in outer space. <laughs> no, but he, he came up to me and he had this thing. I don't even know if it still exists. I have to look it up. It's called It was called Mod Life. And basically what it was was bands taking control of their own music, selling it directly to fans. He, he took things that now exist 
that weren't there back then. And like he, like the whole Patreon thing, for instance, mm-hmm. he, he basically had, had that idea. Like that was part of what mod life was, was you could be a fan of this band, pay like a monthly thing to be like a member of mod life for your, this band you love. Why is it called mod life? I have no idea. What an, what a strange title. Totally. Like why I not call I it, still... why not call it like fanatic or exactly? Uh, I don't know. Um, but who knows? Or, yeah. Hardcore fan or, I wish I still. He gave me a full on like like notebook about it. I wish I still had it. I don't know what happened to it. Show me on um, the Alf doll where he touched you, please. Okay. Show I'm, me on the Yeti. Show me on the was, miniature Yeti. It was, in, it was only in my armpit. It wasn't that <laughs> you know invasive. But I didn't wear deodorant. It was a tickle so. fight. Okay, I admit Poor it. Him. A tickle fight. Yeah. <laughs> but it was. It, I was sitting there like listening to him. I was just like, this seems like a really good idea. But like, what band's gonna do this? This mm-hmm. is like crazy, you know. But it was all those, like, you know, it's like you could pay this monthly fee and, like, get all these little incentives, backstage videos, in the studio videos that no one else is going to see. It was, like, this pretty genius idea, and it never took off because that's where the market wasn't at. You know who else? And, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, fast forward five to ten years, and here we are, and that's what a lot of bands are doing and going independent and stuff. That was his big thing was, like, you can be an independent band and make more money by doing this. Yeah, it's it's fascinating that he was smart enough to sort of have the foresight for that because right. that's definitely sort of a model we're in now. I, I, I have a, a lot of qualms with the model we're in now. Um, I think it sucks actually, but it, it is working. It is getting things funded. I mean, it got your record yeah. funded, and your right. as far as I'm concerned, your record is an invaluable piece of art. So, um, I was going to say, you know, who else takes kind of takes credit around the same time for coming up with the model for what would become like. Um, pledge or, or Kickstarter is Josh Freese. Oh, for those of you yes. don't know, Josh Freese is one of my favorite drummers. He's actually probably my favorite working drummer. He, He's a he, he did Nine Inch Nails, Perfect Circle. He's been in the Vandals his whole career. Weezer, Devo, Replacements. He um, plays with Sting right now. He's, play, he's currently Sting's drummer. He's a total like Orange County punk rock kid who's just a badass drummer. And then on top of that, plays on every record you've probably ever heard with Miley from Miley Cyrus to fucking Evanescence and Paramore. So, um, but he talks about how, and he's a real, I would encourage you all, please go follow Josh Freese on Instagram. It's so incredible. It's just so incredible because he still tours a lot and he's just such a, an insane dude, family man. He's got four kids, all that stuff. Um, but he talks about, he started this thing as a joke where you can, you could eat at PF Chang's with him. Yeah, <laughs> but and he's like, people really were doing it, and then he he his, was it actually on was it on Kickstarter when it, it first started? It was like the one of the first Kickstarters, and one of them was an insane amount, and I think it was like if you pay like fifty thousand dollars, you can come hang out with me and Danny Carey, the drummer from Tool, and we'll all take acid and drive around Los Angeles. Yeah, and he was gonna like <laughs> give you like a star tour of Los Angeles, <laughs> and at the end of it, he was gonna give you his car. <laughs> he was gonna give you the car. <laughs> It was one of the funniest things I've ever read, dude. Ugh. You guys have to look it up for real. It, there was so many. And if you follow him on Instagram and see some of his videos he posts, I mean, he's comically insane. Well, he's one of the funniest dudes. Here's the last tangent, okay? Which, by the way, maybe it's not our last tangent, Ethan. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, having, I'm having a good time hanging out with you on the uh, airwaves. I'm, I'm having a great time. He tells a story on the uh, Jordy White, the bass player for Marilyn Manson, Twiggy Ramirez, you might all know him, has a podcast called The Hour of Goon. And he had Josh on. It's this really funny, weird episode, but they're talking about when they were touring in Nine Inch Nails together. They're just sort of sharing tour stories, which is such a, a treat to hear. And he talks about, he's like, man, remember that Nine Inch Nails tour where 
after every show, we were taking the board tape from the show we just played, blasting it on the bus, and they had taken some fog machines from production, and we're just <laughs> filling the bus up with fog. He said the bus was so filled with fog, you literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And they were listening to the t- board tape of the National show they just played. <laughs> and for sure, that was 100% his idea. He said they did it like every night. And he said that they would leave this Van Halen DVD on loop in the front lounge, but not like the full DVD, just the menu loop. <laughs> Which are only like 30 seconds long. He said they would just go to bed leaving it at full volume so the bus driver would have to pull over to turn it off. <laughs> That's so good. He was like, dude, we watched that menu of Van Halen, like the making of the Panama video for like six months. Right. For six months. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Because that's just a picture of how insane you get out there. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of Josh Free's last little thing before we get back into this, maybe, or maybe not. Yeah. Um, th- there's another podcast he's on. There's a, like, it's like a drummer podcast called I'd Hit That. Heard it. Love it. Dude, there's a three hour episode episode with josh freeze and it is thoroughly entertaining he talks all about you know he was te- he was in guns and roses the chinese democracy era he was in guns and roses for like two years yeah and oh yeah he has stories about buckethead and yeah. stuff it's amazing um, he says <laughs> buckethead is obsessed with disneyland and josh's dad grew up playing in the disneyland like house band yeah yeah he was like a drummer and he said or, that, whatever well he said that buckethead is so obsessed with disneyland that all the big rides like the theme park rides he re-recorded his own guitar versions of the music for the rides <laughs> and that he puts his headphones on when he gets on the rides and listens to his own recordings of the music while, while he rides. <laughs> I mean, does, does Buckethead go to Disneyland in full gear? Probably not. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's photos online of him without his KFC helmet on and stuff. But They've, they've kept his identity pretty private. For a long time, yeah. people thought it was Paul Gilbert of Racer X. Oh, he's he's a badass and a very funny dude. Oh, I love Paul Gilbert so much. What an yeah, amazing yeah. player and what a sweetheart of a dude. He totally. Seems like a very, very kind dude. Talk about a dude who will just tell you every secret he knows. Like, he does things mm-hmm. with a guitar that really kind of seem otherworldly. And he'll yeah. just tell you exactly how he does them. He just wants everyone to have access <clears throat> to the knowledge. Which is awesome. Which is so cool. I mean, I'm by no means, am not and will never be a caliber player like he. Don't you dare say if, that. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'll practice. Sorry, 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 Dad. I'll go back to my room and practice. But like, if the, you know, I mean, there's been people that's come up to me like in my bands, like, how do you do this and this song? I'm like, I'll just show them. Like, I'm not gonna be like, oh, you figured out, kid. Like, you you know, as a musician, you want to share your wealth of knowledge you've you've learned with like a younger generation because they're gonna be the next ones that are gonna be making the music. Yeah, totally. So, um, remember Metallica? I, I'm I'm sincerely asking because the answer may be no. Do you want to get back to Metallica? We don't have to. I do. I do. I okay. do. Let's go back to Metallica. We we still got some stuff to cover. We're on this March so still, 16th. Well, right before that, we got just one last oh, little sorry. tidbit go ahead. left go on ahead. the uh, on the Sabbath True single. So the USB side was so what. Um, the international uh, single B side was nothing else matters. The elevator version where Michael Kamen's score was more prominent in the mix, and I thought it'd be great to. Listen to a clip here and see if maybe everyone can tell the difference. All right, let's dip in.
I know we have a, a, a very fastidious listener named Kent who is on the forums a lot who collects. Um, he's got a crazy collection of, of a lot of rare shit like this. I'm sure he's yeah. hip to that. I wasn't really hip to this elevator version of uh, Nothing Else Matters. Were you? I was not. No, no, I wasn't either until I saw it today. And I was like, oh, interesting. I mean, I I, I, I think it's cool that like, because there's some really beautiful stuff that Michael Kamen did in there. And I did think you, it's cool that... Did you stroke your chin and you're like, hmm. Did you stroke your chin and talk in a... Uh, Sort of maybe an Egyptian traveling ap- accent, maybe a British like. Mm, I was like, interesting. I was like, this is stri- striking. Uh, I, I think that like, you know, I can hear the, the violins, the violas just coming out a little more prominently. The violas you know, and I, the cellos. I think it's pretty good. Right, I hear a timpani in the <laughs> distance, like the pounding of a native drum, beckoning me towards the orchestra. I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure, but I feel like I can hear hurdy gurdy in there. Oh, right. I identify Hody Gertie immediately from miles and miles away. I'm like Legolas in uh, Lord of the Rings, except with my ear, with me ears. I love that you're going into a Beatles accent. Sorry, I am a Liverpudlian. <laughs> well, if you don't want me to play, I'll play, Paul. If you want me to go home, I'll go home. <laughs> Dude, so t- have you seen this, uh, I guess, this movie called Yesterday, the trailer for it? I just saw the trailer the other day, and I'll tell you what. It's from the people who did Love Actually, so guess what? I'm in. Who, who did Love Actually? Who were the people who did Love Actually? I don't know. It just said, like, from the creators of Love Actually, and I was like, whatever. I love that movie. You can, you can make fun of me all day long. I don't care. It's from, the, Hugh, it's from the group of 38 people who brought you Love Actually. Hugh Grant, I'm in. Are you a rom-com um, kind of guy? I love, I love a good rom-com. I don't like all of them. I like a well-done rom-com. I think Love Actually is great. Like I said, anything if if you grants in it, it's gonna be great. Have you seen about a boy? Yeah, well, I, I I'm a big fan of uh, Nick Hornby, the who wrote the book. I've read all his yeah. shit. I liked about great, a boy. Great soundtrack, the badly drawn boy. That guy did a soundtrack. Yeah, so Nick Hornby is a huge music lover. Like he wrote High Fidelity. Yeah. You know the movie High right. Fidelity, oh, yeah. of, of, of course, course yeah. a top you know top ten movie for, for music lovers. And uh, he's got a really great book of music essays called Songbook. Oh, cool! So all of his movies and stories have a lot of great music. He's very, you know, he's like us. He loves, he loves tunes. He loves tunes, bro. He just loves. Man, I bet he bought Freedom Rock when it came out, man. Dude, he loves tunes. He loves freedom. He loves rock. He probably would have bought Mod, the Mod Squad app or whatever that thing was called. <laughs> mod life. <laughs> mod life, bro. Just living that mod life. Mod life. Um, but yeah, so I saw. Yeah, to answer your question, I saw that trailer, and I think the idea of this movie. It's so good. This the, it's like, so you know, weird. Split, it's so weird. In a split second, all the power around the entire planet goes out for like a second or two. At the same time, he gets hit by a car and hits his head on the ground. He he comes to, and all of a sudden, he's the only person in the world that knows who the Beatles are. 
and remembers their music. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's a musician and like plays these crappy shows and stuff. And so it's almost like a, being given ultimate power. Ultimate, exactly. You can claim and, that you wrote the greatest songs ever. Yeah, and and that's what it seems like in the trailer that he, that he kind of does. He starts playing them for his friends and stuff. Then he goes to like record them, and then all of a sudden people are like think he's like this, you know, prolific songwriter. That dishes, like the, there's like a clip on the trailer of him on a talk show. I think it's James Cor- uh, Corden or something. And he's like, can you write a song for us right now? And he goes into, uh, what is it? Um, uh, not Michelle, uh, something in the way, whatever song, oh, yeah. some other beat, something, song. And it's, something in the way she moved. I think it was. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's great. And everyone's like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> and, but there's a, the, my, the, I haven't even, I've only seen the trailer. I've literally watched the trailer like five times and the scene where he's in front of his point, front of his friends at the table playing the song yesterday. And they're like, his girlfriend's like, when did you write that? He goes, I didn't write that. It's Paul McCartney. She's like, who? From the Beatles. They're like, they're like, nope, never heard of them. And they're like, the greatest band of all time. And then one girl goes, well, I mean, well, they're no, they're, they're no Coldplay. It's not Fix You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that song. Oh, Fix You's great. Let me tell you guys something. Go look up Coldplay doing Fix You Live. I don't, it's some big, huge show like Glastonbury. Just look for the one where the crowd's like massive, like Moscow. And when they get to that, bridge and he's like swinging this light around you will fucking cry you will get chills yeah uh, it, it, don't be don't try to be macho if you're alone watching it let it rush over you you will get chills and you will probably cry just let it happen let, just it, let flow. it just let it happen to you dude um the yeah. premise of that movie is really similar to the ricky gervais film the invention of lying you ever seen that i didn't see that one he lives in a world where no one knows lying doesn't exist everyone tells the truth all the time and oh, wow. he's the first man to ever tell a lie. So everything he says, everyone believes. <laughs> this is amazing. So he just goes to the bank and he's like, there seems to be a mistake. Um, when I checked my account, it said I didn't have anything in there. And they're like, well, what seems to be the problem? He's like, well, I have like $80,000 in there. They're like, oh my gosh, we are so sorry, sir. And they just give him the money because they, <laughs> no, lying doesn't exist. That's amazing. So, I gotta watch. So that it's movie. like, what do you do with that power? Because obviously, it's yeah. kind of a character study. Because at first, he has fun with it. He gets the girl he always wanted because he lies to her, and uh, I think he tells her. He tells her. He tells this one woman, "Everyone in the world's gonna die unless you sleep with me." And she she goes. She turns around and goes, "How much time do we have?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I got I, I got to watch that one for sure. Um, um, again, just checking as, in, just checking in. Should we talk about Metallica? I mean, I'm literally just checking in. We don't have to. I just want to wrap up the <laughs> yes yesterday movie. Uh, I kind of spoiled the trailer for people who haven't seen it, but go watch it if you're a Beatles fan. Oh come on, you spoiled the trailer. If, if you're the kind of person that well, don't spoil the trailer for me, I can't believe it. You, you spoiled the teaser. You have some problems. I just think I think the concept of this movie is so it's so good. cool. I know it's so cool. I I remember I, after I watched it a few times, I, the whole day I was thinking, what if I was the only one that knew about a certain band? Would what you, if I was the yeah. only one that knew about Metallica? Would you use the power for good or well? The thing is, what do you do? I mean, if they just if they've been wiped off the memories of all humankind, it's not like they don't know about it, and you can like show them a DVD. So right. you have to sing the songs. And what are you going to do? Say, this is from a band that everyone mysteriously forgot overnight. No, you're right. going to be like, oh, I wrote this song the other day. Mm-hmm. It's called I, yeah, I, it's I, called Hello Goodbye. Yeah, I wrote the song the other day. It's called Sad But True. <laughs> They're like, that's a Metallica song. You're like, damn, it didn't work. <laughs> okay, and back to Metallica, I guess. All right. 
Um, so uh, March 16th through May 8th, they're in Asia, Australia, New Zealand, South America. That's the one where Caius was on the tour. Um, March 19th through July 4th is the European leg of the tour. With the cult and suicidal? With suicidal and the cult, yeah. So old, old Trujillo and the boys are getting to hang out throughout Europe, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole thing ends on July 4th at, in, in Vöchter, Belgium, which there is a popular festival there now called Rock Vöchter, which is one of the most well-put-together festivals I've ever played. Ethan, um, the, Ethan, the world traveler, reporting from his mini travels. I like to consider myself a jet setter. Yeah. A headset jet setter. No big deal. I mean, it's just, it's just what it is. Oh, you NBD. Know? Just, oh, NBD. NBD, man. WNBD. <laughs> WNBD. Dude, Private Parts has aged really well. I don't know if you've watched that movie recently, the Howard Stern movie, Private Parts. It, I love that movie. It's yeah. still as fucking hilarious as it was in 1998. Awesome. I got to watch it again then. November 20th. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, now that, I'm, now that I'm back on the road for the next couple of months, like, you know, you get a little more downtime on the road. <clears throat> You're not having to deal with, like, in person, many home responsibilities, doing my yard, blah, blah, blah. So I, I need to dip into some more movie watching on this tour. Oh, dude. I've, I've been watching the Oceans franchise. I know, man. You've been you've been very vocal about it on Twitter, and I'm stoked for you because I love those movies. I sort of on a whim watched the new one because it's on HBO, and I was kind of bored. I wasn't ready to sleep, and I wasn't really ready to watch something that I had to really care about. You know, those there are those movies that occupy that kind of middle space where you can kind of veg out, but you're still watching it. Sure, of course. And I love Sandra Bullock. I think she's wonderful. Yeah. And it wasn't very good, but it was fun. And I thought, you know what? These movies are just fun. They totally. I, th- I think. I think the Ocean's Eleven remake, the first one they did with Clooney and stuff. I think that one's so much fun. That's Dude, such I, a good movie. I watched it two nights ago. It's amazing. Totally holds up. There are some things about it. I mean, it was two thousand one. That's a long time ago. Yeah, eighteen years. A lot's changed. But um, I started Ocean's Twelve last night and fell asleep. That's the most complicated one. That's kind of the outlier. It is a little bit. Yeah, it is funny though. It's the funniest one, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It definitely is. Um, so, yeah, uh, tour ends. Uh, they got a couple months off, and then all of a sudden, November 23rd, Live Shit Binge and Purge is released. Mm, nice. Which is cool that, like, Mexico City was, like, earlier that year. Oh, yeah. That's well, so, I mean, that's awesome. They, they knew they were going to document. I mean, they filmed all five nights. They they only used kind of, they, they were able to pick and choose, you know, what sounded good. Right. What, what surprises me more is that the full shows they use, like from the San Diego gig, you know, mm-hmm. they must have just been reviewing those shows and they're like, shit, man, this sounds good. I'm sure they did some kind of cleanups here and there, but. Yeah, I mean, a lot harder back then, you know, because, you know. Well, the suits at Electra made us clean it up, but, uh, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Lars really and, wanted to do three shows in Mexico City. The suits at Electra wanted us to do five. Meanwhile, Lars and James are absolute perfectionists. I know. <laughs> oh, the suits at Electra. Although they did put out that. What was that show we listened to from the Justice Box set, the Troubadour show? Oh, man, that was rough Woo. sauce. That was, a little, that was a little rough. People have been encouraging us to revisit the Justice Box set because there are other shows in there that were tighter. And I, we'll do that in the future. But everyone is really, as far as I can tell from the feedback we're getting, loving the commentary episodes. Yeah. So we're going to obviously finish out all the studio records of Metallica. We're still doing the Explore the Big Four, even though we've only gotten... I think we're going to do Explore the Big Four for our next episode. We're yeah, gonna do well, I'll, be home, I'll be home next. Uh, there have been, uh, as you're listening to this, I'll be home. I'm home right now. Hey, I'm here. Hi. But, but we can... Yeah, well, we're going to do... What, what are we talking about doing? Rain and Blood? We're no, gonna do season, season in the Abyss. Seasons in the season Abyss. Season in the Abyss. That'll, that'll be a fun one. And then, But then I think we're also going to just start doing live shows, like notable live gigs. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so man. anyway, a lot of fun stuff coming up. So um, what's crazy to me is that live shit went 15 times platinum. 15 times platinum. I mean, that was, this was their first live record. They were they making so out. much fucking money. I know. It's ridiculous. Well, because here's what was smart about it, too. You know, it's their first live record, and they it was so smart of them to put Seattle 89 on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not just yeah, Black Album. Exactly. You're, you're kind of pleasing those old school fans that maybe didn't love the Black Album stuff. Well, because people looked at it and said, oh, it's for the time, you know, it was expensive, like 150 bucks or whatever. But when they looked at it and it was that road case, it was Seattle 89, the beloved Damage Justice Arena Tour, mm-hmm. plus two full-on fucking Black Album era tours and, and like live footage, full All live show. All great stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got it. It was just smart to. I had it. I don't, who knows? God knows where it is. I have no fucking clue. Yeah. I don't know where <laughs> so many things in my life are. Yeah, there's things that I used to have that, like, in like, and not like a long time ago, like recently, where I'm like, where is that? Well, you know what's crazy is that it's somewhere. It is. Like, it's somewhere. It didn't disintegrate. So, my first car, <laughs> no clue what happened to it. I don't, I just don't know. I simply don't know where it is. It's somewhere in the world. I could it's somewhere go, in the world. If someone knew where it was, we could go to it. Or it could have gone to a junkyard and gotten crushed. Well, I'd like to go visit all the parts. All, yeah. I'd like to go visit it someday. Go pay your respects. So does that pretty much wrap up 93? Yeah. there's. I mean, like I said, but at the top of the show, I mean, there's not, like, aside from touring, there wasn't much that happened. I mean, I mean, there's some very cool stuff that happened, of course. But, like, yeah, that was kind of the... That was 93. <laughs> well, let's rock it on into 1994. Let's do it. Let's let's take a trip. Let's take a trip so, all the way to 1994. All the way into the future. Let's 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 set the flux capacitor. Um so they basically after at the end of that, I mean, you know, they finish July 4th. Um they took off like 7 to 8 months. I mean, they, they do a little thing a live shit bitch and purge contest in January. Um but yeah, they basically took took off a ton of time. I mean, <laughs> rightfully so, and very well well deserved. Hmm. Um, but in January, so they announced. This, we'll play a little clip of this in a bit. But um, they announced this binge and purge contest in November '93. I couldn't get exact dates on this, but um, Lars talks about in there. He's like, in about ten weeks, we're gonna announce the winner or whatever. So I kind of pinned it about. I think it was about like late January of '94 is when they um, announced the winner of the live binge, binge and purge contest, mm-hmm. um, and the winner was this dude. This he totally sounded like he was from the South. His name was B.J. Simpson, um, but he got the contest was you got flown out to the Bay Area to Jason's studio to hang out and jam with the band and go out to dinner with like them, the chop the is, chop house. Did he have that then? I don't know if that was technically the chop house or that was another a, a, a house he bought later. What was his name BJ what? BJ Simpson. He got to bring a friend. His name was like RJ. It was like BJ and RJ. Well, I want to thank everybody. My dad is BJ Simpson. And, uh, well, I reckon I won the Benji the Purge contest. And, uh, well, they flew me out and uh, it was my first plane ride. And I was, I was scared to go to the Turbidol and the Tarmac. And, uh, but somehow I found the courage deep inside. And, uh, well, they flew me out to the Chop House. And, uh, I got to hang out with Jason Newstead, and he showed me how to play my friend of Dizzery on the bass guitar. <laughs> my friend of Dizzery? <laughs> well, my friend of Dizzery is one of my favorite songs with Jason Newstead on the black album. 
Um, but, so the whole contest was really cool. Uh, I want to insert a clip of Jason and Lars. This is them in late 93 talking about the contest. Anyway, also, also, we got this cool contest thing happening, don't we, buddy? God, we don't have enough time to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to try to get it in. This here box is from the tour, Lars's wardrobe case, actually, from the last tour, and then you have a chance to win it. And in, inside comes cool things like Lars's tour jacket <laughs> and some other broken sticks, dirty underwear, and uh, keys to our house, keys to Lars's house, and maps to where we live, the whole and everything. Three hours of studio time at Jason's personal That's studio. Absolutely right. And what the deal is, is one person, one lucky person out there is going to win this contest and come out to San Francisco Can. to be fully abused by the four members of Metallica and presented with this, possibly. And, and you get to even take the case home. You get to take the case home and the stuff inside. And what a deal. There you go. Can, can I enter? Enter what? The Sandman. Do it. Oh, enter the yeah. Sandman. <laughs> so they kind of go through, they seem a little slightly confused. Jason seems to be a little professional in, in the in the uh, commentary on this. And Lars is kind of like, I'm not sure what's happening, you know, because I think they're still kind of figuring out what what all this guy was going to get. But the main thing was flying out to the Bay Area and to hang with all four dudes at Jason's studio. Um, what if it was just flying him out to the Bay Area? Like, once he gets to the yeah. Oakland airport, they're just like, well, that was it. That's, that's what we did. Yeah. Whatever you do from now is really up to you. You're welcome to take a cabin to the city and go get some food or something, but uh, your flight, your next flight back home, back to Cincinnati, is in two and a half leaves. hours. Yeah, you better hurry. There's a lot of traffic up here in the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> but um, so yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty cool thing. Um, they give them like the one of the wardrobe cases from tour. You know, it's wow. part of the contest and um, uh, all sorts of cool little things in there. It's like jam packed full of stuff. Um, but uh, anyway, so the. Um, they, the guy gets to the house, with BJ and RJ, I think. Um, well, this is me. I'm BJ. That's my brother, RJ. And then, pretty much, man. Like one dude, like he, like you'd think, like he's a big fan. He wear a Metallica shirt. He's just wearing some like shirt. that looks like he got like Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, or something. Like yeah, an airbrush but he, that, thing. But he, <laughs> airbrush. That's so fucking nineties. Um, but that may have been a thing where he was like, "I'm gonna wear my damaged. I'm gonna wear my Harvester Sorrow shirt when I meet Metallica." And he probably had his buddies like, dude, you can't wear a Metallica shirt when you meet him. You can't. Well, then his well, but then his buddy showed up in a Metallica shirt, and probably to the to the utmost embarrassment of BJ. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I can't believe you. The first part of can't the video is you wore cut. that. <laughs> Come on, man. He he did. I think RJ did it on purpose. Like, man, don't 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 wear, don't you wear a Metallica shirt? That would be that would be kind of weird. You RJ, you, you do that on purpose, man. You knew no, I did. No, man. It was my last clean shirt, man. Listen, really embarrassed me the other day when we were talking to Lars Ulrich and you wore a Metallica shirt. You told me you'd be a buddy and you wouldn't wear it, and then you showed up, and guess what? You're wearing it. We need to talk ASAP. Call me back. Bye. BJ, RJ here, brother. Hey, listen, I promise you, on my, on my grandmama's grave, it was laundry day. It was my last clean shirt, and I had time to do laundry before I got to the airport to meet you, fly to San Francisco, where all, you know, all that crazy stuff happens. Listen, I promise, honest accident. Call me back. Bye. RJ, 
BJ, listen, laundry day is laundry day. If it's laundry day and you only have one shirt left and it's a Metallica shirt, on the very day we meet Lars Ulrich of Metallica, you show up with no shirt. And I don't care if you're embarrassed about the coiled snake tattoo you got on your left nipple. You need to be a buddy and do what I said when I said you won't embarrass me you wear that shirt, but you wear a shirt anyway. We need to work this out because you're one of my best friends and you're my brother and my cousin. Bye. RJ here, listen, got your message, man. Listen, I know it's my last shirt. I, I, listen, I ain't gonna go shirtless through a damned old airport, okay? I think the TSA people, they probably put me in handcuffs in the crazy sound real quick. I thought about wearing it inside out, but I didn't want to show up in front of the boys in Metallica with the dang old shirt tag sticking off of it. And I ain't gonna rip it off because I think it's like the mattress tags where it's against the law. Call me back by. RJ, BJ, got your message. It's not a point. It's not a point that escapes me. I understand what you're saying, and I know it's hard when you only have one T-shirt in the whole world, and when the whole world feels like it's towering above you and conspiring against you and is determined to keep you from wearing other kinds of clothes. I'm just saying, on the very day we meet Lars Ulrich, you couldn't have gone and borrowed something, couldn't have gone to a tuxedo shop and maybe gotten something, maybe some penguin tail tuxedo. They like tuxedos. They would have been go on to do S&M with Noel whole orchestra when I came before he died. Okay, now be a buddy. Call me back. We need to get to the bottom of this. Bye. BJ, RJ, calling you back again. I hate we keep missing each other, man, because we are best friends and all. Listen, I can't afford a damn tuxedo, and you know that, man. Listen, I'm going to give you some encouragement, man. I know how much you love that South Carolina shirt from Myrtle Beach with the airbrush design on it, man. That was the trip of your life. You saved up for it so you can take your girl there, man. Even though she broke up with you on the way there and you had to take her back home, you still went because you love it. And I think Lars, James, Jason, and Kirk all love the shirt too, man. Like they love the beach. They love surfing, so surely they're going to love your airbrush Myrtle Beach, South Carolina shirt. Call me back. Bye. RJ, BJ, listen, Myrtle Beach is like heaven on earth. I think if anyone knows that, it's you. And I, I paid $25, my last $25, I had to have that airbrush artist on the side of the road on 5th and Main paint me and Doris and Alicia and Toby and and Louisa and, and, and Raleigh on that t-shirt. And I know that they're all characters of our faces, make our faces look big and fat and puffy, and that's kind of what's funny about it, and I thought the boys would like it when I met Metallica. Uh, do me a favor, don't call me back. Bye. <laughs> wow, RJ and BJ, man. We need to get them in touch with uh, Jason Brantley ASAP. Yeah, ASAP. I think they. I think that they could. You know, I think have some good things to talk about. <laughs> so one of the things in this clip, though, is that you actually hear James playing the Rifted Devils dance. Yeah, it's really. I, I had to go back a couple times. There, there's this point. I, I want to insert a clip of Lars talking. He, he talk, I, I think he's serious too. That it's it's it, him and Jason. Him and James are at Jason's house for the first time for this thing. And they've been off for seven months, haven't seen each other since. So let's listen to that real quick, and then we'll go into this devil's dancing, because it, it happens in the background. I, I, maybe not this clip, but it's around here. Maybe I'll even play that clip, too. Ricky Rackham, you're hanging out with Lars and Metallica there, kind of behind. Now, how long has it been since you guys have actually played together? Long. <laughs> it's been, what, about seven months? <laughs> July 4th, July 4th last year. It's just stuff like getting in a room and jamming together? No. Not at all. No. <laughs> actually, you dread it. You dreaded the fact that we actually brought you out of bed to get together and play again. I know. I thought I had a year off, you know. Yeah, I always get talked into this stuff. You thought you had a year off about two months ago when you came to Headbangers Ball to talk about the video. Frightening. Frightening. No, it's cool. It's, uh, we're hanging at Jason's pad. You know, uh, this is me and James' first time out here. 
Got his drums, and we're just gonna have a little bash here with uh, BJ, DJ, RJ, and PJ. Yeah, somebody. It'll be cool. Very cool. So yeah, I, I went back a few times, and I was like, wait a second, because Rick, Rick. So it's 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 kind of part of I don't know if it's part of Headbangers Ball, but they're like Rick, Ricky Rackman's there, like interviewing RJ and BJ and the guys and talking about the whole thing and. And the dudes are super awkward, the, the RJ and BJ. Um, but at one point, like, I was like, what's James playing? Because he's literally in the background just playing guitar and not being interviewed. And then all of a sudden I hear, like, wow. I was like, is that Devil's Dance? Um, but, I mean, you know, you got to think. I mean, a year after this, they were per- about to go in the studio to record Load. Oh, I have no doubt that a lot of that material was written while they were on the road because they were doing that kind of tuning room vibe even then. And if you ever kind of see footage of that, it's like them in a much smaller (laughs) room with like combo amps, like little Mesa boogie combo. amps. Have you ever seen those? Oh yeah. Where they're kind of just rehearsing and stuff. And I, and you know, I know James likes to keep guitars in his, with him in his hotel room. So I, and he was listening to a lot of corrosion and conformity and Alice and, Mm-hmm. I can see him getting riffs like that, and they were just enjoying that. Sl- they were seeing the power of a song like Sabbath True every night. They were obviously yeah. seeing the fucking record take off. So those sludgier, slower, groove-oriented riffs were probably just, that's what they were excited about. Yeah, I'm sure that when James sat down to write riffs in, at home in hotels, I'm sure those riffs are just pouring out, those sludgy ones. But um, I do think it's funny in this video, <laughs> there's a part where Kirk is showing, the, the, showing BJ how to play Seek and Destroy. And at one point, they ask him, like, like he's, he's clearly a guitar player. He's playing power chords and moving his hands around just fine. And Ricky Rackman at one point asked him, he's like, he's like so uh, now aside from this, how many Metallica songs do you know? He's like, none. <laughs> wow. It's like, dude, you're, you're, you won the Metallica contest. He, I think at the beginning of the video, he says he sent in, like, 42 postcards to win this thing or something. 42 postcards? Postcards. I, I guess you had to mail in something and maybe explain why you're the biggest I'll fan. I'll mail in postcards. Idea. I mean, I got some of them. Po- I, you know, I bought a bunch from South Carolina. Hell, I got them 41 and 2 uh, from Myrtle Beach. Airbrushed all of them. <laughs> They're gorgeous, man. My grandmama loves them. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of, like, diehards who, you know, there's some Metallica nuts out there who know how to play every song. You know, they're like seeing a guy like fucking BJ be like, I don't know any other than the one that Kirk Hammett just showed me. They're like, oh, oh dude. I'll bet, yeah, I'll bet there was diehard documents watching this thing air at the time. I couldn't find, like, this is the only video I could find on it. It was, like, a fairly poor quality, as you heard, like, old VHS tape that somebody uploaded to YouTube. But, I mean, even I was like, dude, you don't know any more songs? For real? <laughs> but, you know, it's cool. Like, he ends up jamming with the band, and, like, they they, they play Seek and Destroy, and he, and he does a pretty good job of it and stuff. And, That's good. But, but there's one clip, dude, where RJ and BJ, like, it shows the band um, playing Harvester of, of Sorry. Mm. And Thank you. Thank you. And it pans over, and RJ and BJ are just standing still, just headbanging like Beavis uh-huh. and Butthead. <laughs> it's so funny. And who knows if like <laughs> that was them or like the producers were like headbang. Come on, you guys should headbang. I kind of have a feeling if it was those dudes. If you, if you if you guys watch the video, you'll know it's like those dudes. It's kind of the they, RJ P- BJ pathos. Is they, to just yeah, I think they talked headbang. about it. I think they talked about it in the plane. Like, all right, whenever they start playing, let's just start headbanging. RJ, um, I, RJ, I think I felt my last brain cell jumble out of my ear hole just now. <laughs> so this whole thing ends with the the, they, the band goes out to dinner with them at some restaurant, and they're hanging out, having fun, and then they wheel out this 
wardrobe road case from the black album tour and you know they have them open it up and all this shit starts falling out random stuff like a basketball and like clothes but the main things are in there. There's like a, a snare drum. Yeah, there's a basketball in there. They just started throwing random there's shit There's like in a there. signed King Griffey Jr. baseball. There is a, a World yeah. Series ring from 1972, a basketball, like, a soccer ball. It's the weirdest thing. Like, I mean, I think they literally like left some stuff in there from like the dressing room. Like Lars opens a drawer and he pulls out like a bottle of like ibuprofen and stuff. Wow. But they did put, they did the stash some stuff. And like there's a large snare drum in there. There's a bunch of drum heads, cymbals. Are you sure it wasn't um, Newbrin? Little. Yellow, different. Newburn. Um, and then they finally pull out like a. I, I, I couldn't see the headstock if it was an ESP or LTD, but either way, a cool, like a cool black guitar looks like Kirk's, and all the guys signed it. So the dude got like a. I mean, that's so cool. It's a pretty amazing package. You know, my first thought was, I wonder if the band's going to pay to ship that back to Ohio where he's from. <laughs> yeah, probably not. They're like, well, good uh, luck. Yeah, have fun checking that on the plane. Um, it's going to be yeah, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up like that contest. I, I thought it was really cool and, and, you know, a cool thing they did. And I thought it was interesting that like this was the first time at Jason's house to film this that they'd seen each other since the tour ended. Wow. Because they talk about it in that, and it's like a 35 minute segment. They talk about it a little bit and they're like, what have you guys been doing? They're like, we've been doing no Metallica stuff. Obviously, James was probably writing riffs on his own and maybe him and Lars when we get together. But right. this was the first time they all sat and played together since the tour ended. Wow. Um, so then moving on, we get to February, uh, only one prominent thing happened, but we're back to the American Music Awards. They were nominated again for, uh, favorite heavy metal slash hard rock artists, and they lost to Aerosmith. So here's what they were up against in the pop, uh, well, let's see. Obviously that's going to be, oh, the heavy metal. God damn it. So they were up against Aerosmith and Pearl Jam. Yeah. Interesting. Just three, three bands up for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like every other category, there's a shitload. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Why wouldn't I mean Aerosmith, Aerosmith was Aerosmith also run in the, in the pop rock category that year too. Yeah, well, that was that was a, early nineties were big for Aerosmith. Well, that would have been Get a Grip. So, yeah, Dr. Dre won rap hip hop. Uh, Kenny G won Tony Braxton. The Bodyguard soundtrack. Remember that? Mm, that was massive. Fucking Chattahoochee, Alan Jackson. Holy shit, John Michael Montgomery. Whoa. This is a fucking in vogue. Ooh, never gonna get it, never gonna get it. And I will always love you. Here's who here's who performed. Tony Braxton did another sad love song. Springsteen did Streets of Philadelphia, which by the Ooh. way, amazing song from the film Philadelphia. Yep. Snoop and Dre did Gin and Juice on fucking television. Hell yes. Uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince did I Want to Rock. Whitney Houston did uh, I'm Telling You I'm Not Going and I Have Nothing. Wow. What a snapshot of a time. I know, man. That's Gotta love crazy. that early 90s TV shit. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, well, what else we got? We what else we got? Along? We got here, yeah, moving along. April 11th, uh, they released one live single. Okay. Uh, one the song, a live version from Mexico City on live shit. I'm guessing this is just to promote the live shit Ben and Purge box set. Yeah. Continue, continue to promote at this point. The B-sides were live versions of Whiplash, Bells, and Last Caress. Um, uh, you know, it's whatever. It's like they one's, you know, X amount of years old at this point, and they just, yeah, it's just a promo thing at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you're a completist, that's cool. If you're kind of just a cash, 
in terms of getting all the shit they put out, for me, that's kind of blah. Eh, whatever. Right. I mean, how many fucking versions of Last Caress do we need for Metallica? I feel like they put well, that on everything. I know. Well, the Last Caress and, uh, yeah, they can, they've reused a lot of those B-sides from that era on other things, which is fine. Whatever. Yeah, that's fine. A lot, of the, a lot of the diehard collectors probably have all that stuff. You yeah. know, I don't need all that stuff personally. No. Nope. And if I had it, I'd probably lose it and then wonder where it was. Yep. Um, moving on, we fast forward. I'm assuming in between April, uh, April 11th and May 30th, there's probably some rehearsals going on, gearing up for the Shit Hits the Shed tour, uh, which started on May 30th in Cornfu, New York, which is basically like the Buffalo area. Wow. Uh, it's the, Dar- it's the, Dar- the Darien Lake Center. Have you ever played there? It's the Darius Rucker Center. It's the Darius Rucker Amphitheater. It's the Hootie and the Blowfish Pavilion. And um, yeah. it, from what I understand, it's quite a happening place. Uh, it's pretty happening, man. Yeah. Let me tell you. Totally. It's the letter, um, it's the letter cry amphitheater. Have you ever done any country shows up there with, uh, Rodney, uh, oh. during like it's, it's right next to six flags and stuff. We, we do upstate New York stuff all In fact, we're about to camp out there for several weeks. Like we do a lot of like Albany, Rochester, Poughkeepsie. Um, we do a lot of Jersey. I, they're big, big country fans up there. Yeah. I don't even think you and I need to compare tour schedules. What if we're in the same city? At one point? Oh my god! Don't. What if we could record an episode together in a hotel? Don't room? you dare excite me about things like that. Oh my goodness! Because I know that we have. Do you have an Albany date on this tour? Well, we'll have to do that. Yeah, let's do that. Well, um, maybe we won't. We won't go into that tangent on the show right now, but <laughs> eventually yeah. we'll do it. We'll do it on our private. Time. So many of our listeners are like, "Thank God! Thank God! Thank God! Thank God!" Oh my God! They can like sense okay. it. They can sort of sense the show derailing, and they're like, "No, no, no! Hold it together! Hold <laughs> no, it together! Don't, hold don't, it together. Don't, 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 don't!" So uh, March second. Um, so like, hold on. Let me get master tour. Yeah, one second. Wait, but that's oh, a day my, off. Hold on, that's a day off. Hang on, the app Wait. froze. One second. Hold, let me restart my phone. Hold on. <laughs> Um, oh wait, you're resetting this, your phone. Let me talk about Dave Matthews. Perfect. Uh, okay, <laughs> man this this tour was pretty cool, man. 51 shows in the U.S. and Canada only. The supporting acts were Danzig, Suicide Tendencies again, uh, Candlebox, Weird. and Fight, which is we'll get into why Candlebox was there. Mm-hmm. Fight, which was Rob Halford's band after he left Judas Priest in '92. Weird. So let's let's go to the, the to the the elephant in the room, Candlebox. Doesn't really make much sense to me, but they were a pretty popular band at the time. Um, Allison Chains was supposed to be one of the openers, but pulled out because of Lane Staley's drug addiction. Right. Which will that will that will pop up again in in, the, in later in '94. Um, it's just a bummer, man. That like, I mean, I understand drug addiction is a serious thing, and, and some people you know have these demons that they can't kick. But like, I mean, this is like this is past. I think like a normal drug addiction. I mean, he's messing up everyone else's life that need to make money and make a living and because he's hooked on heroin. Yeah. And as we all know now, it would, you know, it would go on to kill him. And yeah, there's a kind of a disturbing video of like James making fun of him. They're yeah, singing like I, I, man in the box. And he's like singing about being a junkie, which is kind of fair game. Cause Lane sang a lot about being a junkie also. Yeah, totally. But James is kind of that definitely of the ethos of like, I, you have a feeling that they were big drinkers and partiers, but kind of looked down on like hard drugs and, right, and yeah. how hard drugs would keep you from being able to deliver your product to the people. Mm-hmm. It was like yeah, kind of totally. their problem with the gun stuff. And and even Jason's talked a lot about the Van Halen monsters of rock tour where he's like, I learned a lot about what not to do on that tour. And he's like, yeah, I'm basically totally. talking about cocaine. 
Yeah. I basically watched all these fucking coke heads, and I was like, I'm never doing that, you know? Yeah. That's smart. Hey, smart dude. But that would have been Alice in their prime. I mean, that would have been dirt, post-dirt. So do you think that Alice in Chains or Danzig would have been direct support? Ooh, good question. Because Dan, Dan, Danzig mother, was... Mother was mother, happening. Mother 93. That was the... the it got like re-released as a live version. But I don't it was think massive. But I don't think Mother ninety three could fuck with the one two punch of Man in the Box and Wood, and Wood, wood and, and and you got you also got Rooster down in a hole, them bones, Man in the Box, yeah. We Die Young, Rooster or not Rooster, but Wood was on the single soundtrack, which was a huge film in ninety two. Yep. I so, almost bought that vinyl today, by the way. Oh, I didn't even know that was reissued on vinyl. Yeah, I saw it today at a record store, but I already I already bought a couple things. Which, by the way, I, I will make a quick little side note here, little tangent world. Okay, we've talked about on the show like you're starting to get some you know uh, some cassettes. You've got anal vomit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I might have picked up a little cassette from my friend Clint Wells today, which oh, I'll boy. give to you next week, and we'll have to re- we'll have to talk about it in the next episode. And I I I will tell you this, I wanted to get you something that was on par with anal vomit. Mm-hmm. And I think I originally found something, and it, I turned it over, and it was definitely a local metal band, but it was only four songs, and it was $17. <laughs> I was like, look, I love Clint, and I'm sure this band's cool, but I'm looking for cassettes. Like, I mean, what's going through their heads? They're like, would you, they're like in their local record store, like, would you guys mind selling this, putting this in your local bin? Like, yeah, yeah sure. What do you want to price that? Price it up. We'd like you to price it at seventeen dollars. Yeah, it was sixteen ninety nine. So that we like, can ensure geez. no one ever buys it. Yeah, we want these two copies that Ethan Lux saw today to stay here forever. <laughs> well, I appreciate you thinking of me, and I appreciate that I, my name is now tethered to the phrase "anal vomit," and that I'm now known as a guy that likes to collect things like that. Right. Well, all I have to say is that I, I picked up a cassette for you today for a dollar ninety nine, and it's a it's awesome, and I think you're going to love it. Well, I'm honored. Thank you for thinking. And of I me. and I think it's a it's a bit out of your 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 realm of, of your musical taste, I think. But I think you're going to love it. Anyways, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. You guys, I'll find out next week. Okay. Um, man, I think God, if Allison can Allison Chains direct support for Metallica would have been just incredible. They did direct support for Kiss on their reunion tour in '96. I was actually watching one of those shows the other night, and it's so it's so interesting because it's obviously like a fan bootleg VHS or something. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of rough to watch. Well, I mean, those were some of his last shows with uh, Lane Staley's. Like, it, you can see Jerry sort of looking across the stage, checking on him throughout the whole yeah. show. And, yeah. J- and Jerry, like, he's pretty, he moves around a lot. He likes to rock, you know? Yeah. But he's sort of locked into, like, checking on Lane, and Lane's just fucking never moves. He, he has oh, that yeah. thing where he shakes his head fast, but uh-huh. you can just tell he's, like, pushing through, like, a heroin binge, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, there was one of them, I think, was it the last show or one of them? He like OD'd and had to go to the hospital. I recently, like in, oh, where I, was I it? Like know, Oklahoma City or something? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, on, the, on the Kiss tour? On the Kiss tour, yeah. Damn. I recently listened to the Unplugged album. It's not great. You can kind of hear that he's fucked up. Yeah, you can. I mean, there, there's some good moments on I there for sure. I used to love but, that record when I was a kid, but he, yeah. he sounds pretty weak on it. Yeah, I mean, he was God, that guy was messed up for a long time. It's really tragic, you know. I mean, what a talent that know. you know he he let the he let those drugs get the best of him, man. It sucks. Yeah, it does. Well, I'm sure that Candlebox was a real big head scratcher for everybody involved, and I bet yeah. I, I, I'm willing to bet you they were a Q Prime artist. Uh, probably, yeah. Um, 
I, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure their their uh, Metallica fans were probably not stoked when Candlebox came out and played far behind. <laughs> totally, it's like, it's like look, yeah, we like Metallica. We got we got Unforgiven and nothing else matters. But like, I don't know. I, they're they're definitely the source. I'm sure they could have thought of another band to play. But you're probably right. They could have been on Q Prime. I'm trying to find out. I don't really know how to. I just typed in Candlebox Q Prime, and it's not bringing me the results I desired. <laughs> Well, kind of cool that Rob Halford's on the tour, though. I mean, I'm guessing his band was like the opening band, which is weird. See, that's got to be maybe, weird too. It'd be like, that's, or maybe, or Candlebox. I don't know. Candlebox had to have been first of four, and then yeah. maybe Rob's band, which is super weird because that'd be like Ozzy starting a new band and opening, or Bruce Dickinson. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, Rob Halford is a huge hero to those dudes. They're huge mm-hmm. Priest fans. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll get to another, uh, another, uh, Rob Halford moment coming up here soon. But, um, uh, what else we got here? Uh, oh yeah. This was also the last tour that Metallica tuned to E standard. They changed to E flat cause the Hetfield's uh, voice was kind of getting, you know, it was deteriorating because of how much touring they were doing with the black album. Mm-hmm. And that would go on and now become like their sound, you know? This when you you have this note here that that's also when Lars went to down to two rack toms with his hi hat yep. and ride closer on the Jerry Cantrell um, episode of It's Electric, which is out now Lars's radio show. Mm-hmm. He tells a story about in this time ninety four uh, going to Allison Chains's rehearsal space. He was just hanging with Jerry, and I guess they went to the rehearsal space like on a night off, and he kind of sat behind Sean Kinney's kit. And that's how Sean Kinney had his kit set up. Yeah. He talks about it also when, when we talked to Tom Quee last week. He also m- mentioned that same story in that in those Guitar Center videos. Oh, yeah. There you go. Sorry. That's yeah, probably and, what I got it from. Yeah. But, uh, st- yeah, cool that he, like, sat down and was like, wow. Like, I never thought about doing this. And, like, this makes it easier. Or maybe he can, I don't know, like... Something clicked, where and that's been his, that's literally been his setup ever since. Well, and I can imagine Lars too, because Sean Kinney is such a badass fucking drummer. Oh yeah, and and so understated. I can I can imagine Lars being a Dallas fan, of course, being tight with Jerry, and mm-hmm. like admiring Sean Kinney. So when he kind of sat down, and I bet when he saw his kit sitting there, he's like, "Ooh, I want to go sit down and see what it feels like to sit behind Sean's kit." Right, the exactly. same way the same way you or I would, even though I did not do, I restrained myself in the tuning room. Me and Paul both did from touching any of the gear. We of course, were, We yeah. were very much like, man, arigato, thank you. Arigato. <laughs> arigato, thank you. Well, let's listen to a quick little clip of Lars talking about that moment in Seattle. That's the only setup I've played since, um, since the summer of 94. Uh, before that, I had uh, two extra rack toms, the small one there and a big one there. Um, and so what that did, it, it pushed the hi-hat really far this way and the ride symbol really far so i would play the the ride and the hi-hat like this and i was uh, hanging out with jerry cantrell up in seattle and went to uh, an alice alice in chains rehearsal room and played sean kinney's drums and he had just two rack toms in front of him. actually i think just one maybe um and his hi-hat sat in front of him rather than on his side i go that's pretty cool uh and that was a lot easier to play so I lost the two rack toms on the sides. That's probably been the uh, only change uh, since then. Oh, I think that um, I think the, the second floor tom back there, uh, 
was uh, affectionately dubbed the coffee table for many years because uh, it was never actually used for anything other than to put, you know, drinks on <laughs> or sticks. This is where you have the note about the God That Failed debuted at the first show of the Shit It's the Sheds tour in Miami, Florida. They would go on to play yeah. 87 more times, but how about getting a debut like that? I guess at the time that wasn't that shocking. Although totally. they're on their third or third year of touring the album. You know some diehards like me and you would have been these guys back then. Like They haven't played God That Failed yet. Yeah, what the heck? Come on, guys. Uh, that's when I mentioned earlier when we were back in 93 all the way back in 93, when I, I couldn't remember which song it was, they, they did play a total of 80, 88 times, and it was mm-hmm. The God That Failed. Cool. Um, but yeah, play, debuted that at the first show, and um, yeah, pretty, I mean, yeah, Jason gets his bass intro. And they had to hire a guy to come out and cock a gun uh, for yeah. the intro. <laughs> totally. They uh, paid him $4,000 a week. Phew, I would have taken that job. Kept him on retainer, yeah. Um, August 9th, we get a little bit of Alice in Chains teaser here because they couldn't do the tour, but Jerry Cantrell joins Metallica on stage for Who in the Bell Tolls in Oklahoma City, which I think, I don't know if he's back in Seattle, but I know there was a long period of time. I think he, isn't he from Oklahoma, Jerry Cantrell? Yes. Yeah. So maybe he was still living there and came, just came out to the show and they're like, hey, you want to play a song with us? Yeah, sounds good. He must have an affinity for that song too, because when he played with them on the 30th anniversary shows in 2011, I believe that's also a song he played. Okay, maybe it's his favorite Metallica song, and they know it. Well, good taste. He might be yeah, very, maybe a lightning guy. Very good taste. I, you know, I, speaking of those, their relationship, man, I, I love that they've had a long-standing relationship. Like mm-hmm. everything from that to um, you know this, the, what Lars just talked about in Seattle and Sean Kenny's kit to when they reformed William Duvall and James singing Wood with them at a festival in Europe. It's mm-hmm. like they're just they just have this great like friendship and musical camaraderie. I, I just I admire. It. I love it. Yeah, I, lo- I love them showing up the Unplugged show. I remember reading like a 60 Minutes with James Hetfield where he talked about how Them Bones was like a warm-up song he would listen to before a gig because it just got him pumped up. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so then we're moving on to Woodstock 94, which what a weird gig that was. Not Metallica, yeah. I'm talking about the whole gig. The whole gig, yeah. But Woodstock was, was they're in the middle of this tour, and Woodstock was kind of just a one-off to do. It, it's super weird. I mean, uh yeah, I mean, they were very close to the original Woodstock site. I think within like thirty miles. Um, there's some I got I put out some facts about the, uh, the Woodstock '94 because it was if you ever watched a lot of this footage, there's some what are now like famous performances from this thing. Oh yeah, it was the 25th anniversary of the original festival. Other uh, other acts that played the same day as Metallica included Joe Cocker, Blind Melon, R- Rollins Band, Nine Inch Nails, Cranberries, Primus, and of course Salt and Pepper. This is probably that era when Salt and Peppa kind of had a resurgence again with What a Man. I just like hearing you say Peppa. What a man, what a man, what, what a man, man, what a mighty good man. Was a mighty, mighty good man. Good man, say it again, yo. Uh, was that not, that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but was, that was Salt and Peppa within Vogue, right? Uh, it was. You're I believe correct. that was an in vogue. Uh, what do you call that? A crossover or like a call that a, a collab? A collab. You put the abbreviation on collab. I like that. Yeah, you got to. Got to abbreviate a little to. bit from time well, to time. Of course, it was getting late, so we need to. In order to get the show streamlined, we put a few abbreviations on some things. Totally. Uh, this fact is mind blowing to me. Okay, 164,000 tickets are sold. That's already crazy, right? So. The attendance estimate was around 550,000 people, and the reason for that was is. The the surrounding area, the the border of the festival grounds was just a chain link fence. Hmm. So it was impossible. It was impossible to control the amount of people that were coming in, what they were bringing in. There was like reports of people like 
coming in by the but the groups bringing in like illegal substances to like beer they're not supposed to bring in all sorts of food all this stuff and it got to the point where they just couldn't control it like we talked earlier about the the moscow show where like that many people you just can't control that anymore and it's just crazy that like that I mean that many people basically got into the show for free wow through one little hole in the fence <laughs> there's some guy back there with, with some wire cutters and he finally got through he's like come on guys this way yeah, were there just like eight hundred buses full of people waiting for that hole in the fence? Like, I just insane. I mean, I'm sure at a certain point the festival organizers and security probably saw how many people were coming in, and not knowing where they were coming from, it's like, well, shit, we can't stop that. We can't walk over and be like, turn around, please. Right. Like, you just have to let it happen. And like, okay, here we go. Um, but this was, the, you know, this is the you know the Green Day performance where Billy Joe started the mud fight. There's a story of Les Claypool when they played the Primus song, "My Name Is Mud." The crowd started throwing mud at him, and he claims that like there's still dried mud in his base cabinet to this day. <laughs> wow, which is awesome. Um, and again, back to Allison Chains, they were supposed to perform and pulled out because of Lane Staley. Yeah, that sucks. Totally sucks, man. Like to be able to play something this historic and you can't do it. One of the things Jerry talks about in the interview with Lars is, you know, I guess Lars is asking like, was there a big grand plan when you got William or when you wanted to start playing shows again? And Jerry's like, not really, you know, he's like, it was kind of Sean's idea to do a benefit. We get our friends up there because, you know, they're tight with like the heart, Nancy, uh, and, uh, the other heart chick. Oh God. Why can't I think of her name? Uh, wow. Anne. Anne, Anne, Anne yeah. yeah. Dude, Barracuda came on in my studio, uh, earlier today and I was just like, these fuck, that fucking band was so good, dude. Oh, dude. Magic Man, Barracuda, and Crazy yep. on You, and Dreamboat. Crazy Man. on You is a, Crazy on You is such a good song. Um, but anyway, so he talks about how, you know, they were like, you know, like, we miss our buddy. Like, it sucks that our buddy can't be here, talking about Lane, of course. They're like, but you know, like, this is our music, and we, the music's still powerful. When the three of us play together, it sounds like Alice in Chains. I wrote, mm -hmm. I wrote more, most of it. And just sort of go, like I guess, like sort of discovering himself that like he could take ownership of it again. Yeah, and then you for just sure. Got to think about all the fucking things that they couldn't do because Lane was an addict, you know. Yeah, totally, man. And it must be so nice because now William's been in the band how long? Twelve years or something? Something like that, yeah. So he's probably been in the band as long as, if not longer, than Lane. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And I, and I, I mean, I agree with Jerry. Like, when those three, that's the the, ryth the rhythm section, you know I mean? Whether it was Mike Inez or Mike Starr, it's like, those dudes are the sound of Allison Chains, the I, rhythmic sound of Allison Chains. I agree. And and I was so pleasantly surprised that their new record, Rainier Fog, which, again, can't recommend enough, so surprised at how much it sounds like classic Allison Chains. Yeah, and it's just it's because really it's, good. Because it's Jerry writing it and Jerry singing it, and it's those three dudes, and William Duvall... He sounds great, you know? He's a yeah. great addition. And he wrote one of the songs on there called uh, Never Fade Away. And he wrote it all by yeah. himself. It sounds like a classic Alice song. So That's so awesome. Really cool, right? He's got a great voice. I got When I got to see them with the rhyming, man, he, I, he blew me away. He's, yeah. His range is great. He's a great guitar player. Him yep. and Jerry sound great together. Um, <clears throat> so there's a, a little uh, Woodstock interview clip. It's, again, Ricky Rackman talking to them. Um and at this point, Ricky Rackman's like early to mid nineties. He's got like frosted tips. It's like very telling of the era. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really funny because like it seems like Metallica just showed up. Like they talk about Nine Inch Nails are on stage right now, and Nine Inch Nails was played right before Metallica. Uh, so like they don't 
probably have much time unless it's or it's probably a thing where like one stage is on and then when that's done the next stage plays and whatever so but it's like they're kind of confused on like what's happening and like they're not quite sure who's all playing and they finally like aerosmith played after metallica that night they okay. headlined right um but it's really funny so let's listen to that real quick are there any yeah, bands yeah. that you're i mean i know you guys just pulled up are there any bands that are playing tonight that you're looking forward to seeing or or through the next days we don't even know who's playing you don't know who's, who's playing, playing? Oh, we know Aerosmith is playing. I look forward to seeing them. Because Aerosmith yeah. goes on right after you. Yeah. Nine Inch Nails are playing right now. So uh, is there anything you're looking forward to about the whole... I mean, are you into, like, the whole... We're just... Woodstock we're starting thing? to get vibe we're now. We're just, you know... Them, oh. You gotta understand, we've been... People that maybe haven't heard of Metallica here. Who I don't knows? think that's the case. I, <laughs> I really don't think that. I think <laughs> the pretty, pretty much what <laughs> I've heard is everybody's been... any of the old stuff. I think what's been happening, everybody's been looking at the crowd and saying, what's going to happen when Metallica plays is pretty much... But, uh... Here's the band that I know that you're a big fan of, Lars. Here is the Spin Doctors. Interesting. Yeah, it's so it's so weird. It's so weird when Lars. They're like, "Who are you looking forward to see?" He's like, "Uh," they're just both blank. And he finally goes, "Uh, Aerosmith." <laughs> that's funny. That's like that's like the scene in Wayne's World too, and they announce they're going to do Wayne Stock. Yeah. Like, Who's coming to Wayne Stock? He's just like looking around the room, like, "Uh, Van Halen and Pearl Jam." And Gruff's like, "Whoa, really?" Well, really? It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, so here's the uh, the set list they played. Um, a lot of cool stuff in there. In here, um, Bread Fan, Puppets, Rome, Harvester Sorrow, Fade to Black, <clears throat> Bell, Seek and Destroy, Kirkus Guitar So Nothing Else Matters, Creeping Death, Whiplash, The Encore, Sabbath, True One, Entertainment, So What. And I want to uh, when they played Bells. There's a pretty funny clip where James. You think he's gonna like introduce the whole band, but then he's just introducing Jason to do the intro to from the Bell Tolls. It's a it's pretty hilarious how he introduces them. It's real short. We like it plenty loud. Get funky with your friends in Metallica, man. Come on. In this corner, playing bass guitar for heavy metal group Metallica. Jason. I just love that he goes into like a like a ring announcer voice and yeah. in his corner. <laughs> That's nice. How's Jay in the video? How's Jason taking it? Taking it? Taking it? Uh, oh, he's good he's, sport. He's, he's he's in work mode. He's already like playing. They're kind of like you know, Lars is hitting the kick drum. They're kind of jamming a little bit. He's like building he's, a shed on the stage. Totally, he's building a shed for sure. I mean, he's he's got that mean Jason look on his face. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. In, he's in the he's in the zone. Well, you know when they were making Garage Days re-revisited, he was like, he took a bunch of like soundproofing shit and built that into the garage. Yeah. He likes to build things. He, hey, nothing wrong with that, man. Yeah, sometimes you gotta shed some wood, man. Oh my god, dude, totally. He like, seriously, like, just shed wood and like, just build stuff. Just fucking get on the 101 and just fucking drive up to Sausalito. Seriously, or just get out to Joshua Tree and like be like meditative or something. Dude, one time, like just going to Joshua Tree and just like taking peyote and just like opening my fucking third eye, like squeegeeing uh. my third eye. <laughs> and an alien took me up on the fucking mothership for like 75,000 years. 
Oh, we went to another dimension, bro. It was, Dude, it was insane. Dim- it was spiritual. It was dimensional. And they had the best fish tacos ever. Oh, my God, dude. Patchouli coming out of my butt forever. <laughs> All right. And the last note we have, August last 21st, is, the last yep. show. Last show, the Shits Shed Tour. And this was a cool moment. The very last show um, of the tour in Miami. Um, Will Smith showed up. and uh, Will Smith is there. Played, it's crazy. Played, played Men in Black, the, hip, the, the titular song for Men in Black. <laughs> exactly. Please enjoy this cool. clip. <laughs> they bring <laughs> they bring out Rob Halford uh, on stage with Metallica to play a Judas Priest Rapid Fire. Very cool. I thought it'd be fun to listen to a, a maybe couple, maybe thirty seconds of this. Yeah, let's check it out. Hey, you guys want some more? Well, since it's the fucking last night of the tour and all this shit, we uh we thought we'd bring a new friend out with us here uh, and do an old tune. Hope you guys are gonna fucking dig it. We fucking love playing this shit here. So, uh, I'm gonna bring our friend out, uh, Mr. Robert Helford. Hell yeah! So, a fight, and we're gonna do a, an old priest tune, right? Yeah! Tell them what it's all about, man. This is a song from a priest album called British Steel. You all remember that one, don't you? Yeah. It's called Rapid Fire! Well, there we go. You know, not a lot happened, and yet a lot, a lot, a lot happened. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's right. And you know what? It, in the next year, they go to, on to make what would seem like a disappointment to a lot of their fans, but our beloved load and reload. Sessions. Oh, I can't wait! Yeah, 95, 95 through two thousand is going to be so fun. And uh, you know, for those of you keeping score out there in Metal Podcast Land, so. We kind of punctuate these. These episodes are a little easier to do, especially when we're both in different cities. So, who knows? We may be ramping these up in March, but we do have a lot of cool stuff planned. Uh, we we're, we're going to get Squindo, the artist, on. We're getting Chad uh, James's guitar tech on. What else? We we have other stuff lined up too, right? We have James Hetfield coming up soon. He should be right. showing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we, you know, we're gonna we, next week. We'll be doing uh, listen to the seasons in the abyss. And you heard Ethan's tour dates at the top of the show. If you guys are uh, if you guys are heading out or you live in any of those cities and you want to head out to the show, make sure you send us an email. We love feedback. We love hearing from our our fans and our listeners. Metal up your podcast show at gmail dot com. Uh, do go leave the positive review on iTunes. It just goes a long way. It's super easy to do. You've been putting it off. You like the show. You listen every week. You look forward to it every week. But you haven't left the review. Go do it. Come on. It's been two years. Over two years. Do it for Lucius. Do it for Lucius. Do it for RJ and BJ. (laughs) Also, yeah, we need to pay their phone bill because it's just going straight to voicemail because they haven't paid their phone bill. Do you think that BJ still has that road case? I was actually thinking about that earlier. Like, it'd be fun to track him down and talk to him about it. That would be pretty awesome. Maybe he lives in the road case. 
Maybe maybe he does. Maybe a lot's happened in the last twenty five years. Well, maybe someone listening knows. I'm pretty sure in the in the video he it's from he's from Cincinnati. So okay. hey, maybe someone maybe someone knows a uh, old RJ and BJ. Maybe our friend Stephanie knows. She's I think she's over there in Cincinnati or in Ohio. She's somewhere. an she's an Ohioan. An Ohioan. 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 Um, should we say anything else before we split? I think we should say goodnight because it's late. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Peace. Adios. Or what would you say? And then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>